0: Warning. This program typically features respectful, nuance, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations.
1: We, 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 we know of new methods of
0: attack. <laughs> the, heart. the fifth column Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your almost weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle, the people that make it, and occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster. I mostly do things at Freethink, although sometimes it's a little more generous than others, but I'm delighted to be here in this particular studio. I am flanked by some pretty remarkable human beings. Matt Welch, who's the editor at large at Reading Magazine. Uh, hey, Matt, how's it, how are you? Nice to see you. Yeah. Hi, Camille. Good to see you. Great, great, great. Um, my very good friend, Michael Moynihan, who's a national correspondent, HBO, Vice News. Um,
2: well, you, you, that's, you're going to
1: have a new one next week. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Last Last week of that. Uh, yeah. uh, on, Friday, on Friday. Are you guys
2: going to do like a Viking funeral thing? Yeah, yeah, on Friday. Yeah, I mean, I mean. I'm,
1: I'm trying to shake the hangover that I acquired from hanging out with you this weekend, <laughs> and then the one that visited me this morning after um, leaving the comedy cellar at 2 a.m. last night. Jeez. Uh, hey, the show's ending on HBO this week. It's like you know, the kitchen's closed. Everyone's done their pieces, except for breaking new stuff. Uh-huh. So all the pieces, I mean, I had the Joe Walsh one last week and after that you know i don't know what am yeah. i supposed to do we should talk a little maple <laughs> yeah. syrup too yeah. oh that'd be great if i by the way there's a netflix series which attacks my maple syrup piece no. is that true yeah 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 really yeah,
0: yeah there's should, like a
1: money what was that money it's a pretty good series yeah, actually yeah. a is friend it, of mine is um, dirty money yeah something like that something uh like that. there's a it's a good uh, trump one and a friend of mine um aaron carr daughter of, uh, of the late great David. David Carr, uh, and a fantastic filmmaker. I think she produced uh, a few of them. Yep. Yep. And they're good, but there's one, there's one uh, on the maple syrup heist. And they're like, uh, it, because I made fun of the uh, can Canadians, I say Québécois, is very specific, for having the maple syrup OPEC, for having their strategic reserves. And, you know, it's just poking fun at them. Yeah. And, they, 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 you know, Québécois people sort of poke fun at themselves just by sort of existing. <laughs> I, by
2: the, the nature of the way they speak French. Yeah, and they all,
1: they all talk like Jean Cartan. Like, there's a guy, you watch this thing, there's a guy who talks out of his mouth like that, and it's, like, so bizarre. And so there's a piece of it in the Netflix series, and they weren't nice about it. Oh, I'm sorry. They got, me, they got it wrong. But anyway, so this, the, the, that show on HBO is ending this week on Friday, and uh, will reanimate itself sometime uh, somewhere else. And in the meantime, there's some other stuff in mm-hmm. the works, mm-hmm. uh, which... Later, I, later for that. Later for that, but, but yeah. But, but, yeah but hi,
0: hi, Camille. Uh, yeah, good to see you, Anthony Fisher. Also in the room, uh, political, national, political something editor, veg, <laughs> <God>. insider, <laughs> something or other. Right? Yeah. Do mm-hmm. we, I don't know. Is we'll it? Is we'll that even that. directionally correct?
1: Directionally correct? Yeah. I don't, which direction are we going? Exactly.
0: Right. It's wonderful to see you as well, Fisher.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is this like how fast do the fucking wheels come off this thing? Yeah. <laughs> there are no like,
0: wheels. <laughs> I know. It's great to be with everyone. We do have a guest in the room, though. Um, it's weird when we start the program and um, we don't acknowledge the guest straight away and yeah. we keep talking because the guest is here. In no, room, I, was, I was enjoying that. sitting behind a yeah. mic, and they haven't been recognized. He's uh, sitting very kind of <laughs> patiently
1: on the floor with his legs crossed, yeah. like we're Al Qaeda and that's our hostage, and we're just like talking about strategy. Steve Krensky, like, national,
0: national Political Correspondent for NBC, MSNBC, author of The Red and the Blue: The mm. 1990s and the Birth of Political Tribalism, which is, I mean, political tribalism is in full flower mm. in America right now. He's going to talk have, to us about there's it. There's very good reason for us to talk to you, Steve. It is wonderful to have you in the room tonight. Uh, thank you for having me here. I'm really yeah. excited to be here, honestly. I'm,
3: I'm here actually, to- I'm a listener of the podcast and this is oh kind God. of a... Uh, do not say that. I you're wasn't just thrilled to be invited. <laughs> How so, you did know? you <laughs>
2: decide to come here after listening to it? That's the, yeah. this, this is the curiosity. I
3: don't know, yeah. I'm a little intimidated, honestly, because you guys, you guys, you're very funny, you have a lot of fun and, you know, I'm... Uh, not you don't sure, like fun. I'm not sure I right. <laughs> I, I got to say, I feel, yeah. I feel some pressure because professionally I'm supposed to be boring. Yeah. And that's one of the things. It's a different
1: world. You're not going yeah. to drink with Oberman anymore.
3: I wasn't there with Oberman. That, yeah. that was a different era. Yeah.
1: Well, it, it, at the, you can you can be satisfied now because you are the chief king. Uh, uh, political co- correspondent for NBC and Keith Olbermann last I saw was doing videos like against a green screen in his basement for like GQ and those are gone too he so. stopped
2: that now he's mostly doing dog rescue videos oh, he's really back, he's
0: back at ESPN though right
2: is he? Yeah, yeah, I think he was. Yeah. He's, yeah, he, yeah, he
0: was in the last well, few ESPN yeah. has like an aggressive musical chairs kind of situation going on there. I'm not sure what's going on. I, I mean, sure. I don't I, think, I haven't I, seen I, Keith I, at ESPN for a while. Yeah,
1: I don't think he does political stuff anymore, but I, I wish he would, and then I wish he'd attack me, <laughs> because I know some great <laughs> things about him that he would not want the world to know. Oh, man. So I'm from L.A., where <laughs> he was from, too,
2: right? So we all knew him as a sports broadcaster. He had a mustache. He had great, luxurious, awful 80s he mustache. Like, he looked like
1: like like the child of Keith Hernandez and Bill Buckner it was oh. like kind of the same it was like the mix of their shapes like but with more of whatever.
2: a more of a, punch, like a uh, Goulet uh, situation yeah. <laughs> but no and he, and he would even then he would last at a place for 6 months or 9 months because he's uh, he's obviously a brilliant guy like he's yeah, uh, sure. at the top of his game he's one of the best at anything that he does really uh, even at, at, at like his scabrous uh, kind of kind of MSNBC personality when it was good that was a good 9 months Um, After the nine months, it's not so good anymore, Um, but he was always burning bridges everywhere he went, and so everyone would sort of – he's got a trail of tears behind him that anyone knows. Yeah, I mean it was
1: the first successful liberal version of a Bill O'Reilly type show, which was, you know, like throwing thunderbolts the whole time, denouncing people in the most, you know, insane terms of like – what was the – the most what was the category? It was the most the wor- evil? The worst worlds, person in, in the, the world, world. Yeah. in the world. I remember watching. I don't want to overstate this. but You are the worst person in the world. It's like you know, the, uh, forty-eight people were killed in Eastern Congo by some local militia. You're worse than him because <laughs> you tweeted something that I disagree with politically. That's true. But anyway,s yeah, our was segments, successful.
0: our segments are a lot more modest than that because it's just some idiot wrote. Yeah, that. yeah. Because yeah. there's so many just, of them. That's it. Just some idiot.
1: And then we realize we, never, we don't do it much anymore because we realize the entire podcast is yeah, some a lot of did something, yeah. and then we talk about it They're for not the whole ninety. Thing. Minutes. Sometimes we
0: talk about things that we like, do things we? that yeah. Sometimes we'll mention people who wrote something really good that we were very inspired by. Sometimes what, what, you'll I, even interview people who inspired yeah, yeah. you, Moynihan. In
1: have I interviewed anyone that inspired me? Well, who you I'm like? Still hungover. I don't at least think I've a little bit. I like. <laughs> I, by the way, I have to say I did like Joe Walsh. Yeah. Yeah, I actually had a good time with him. I'm not and, shocked and, by that at and, all. And, I think when we did the um, I did the special dispatch with John Ronson, one of the things I talked about, and I asked him this question because John, in, you know, he did that book them in like nineteen ninety nine, was the mm-hmm. first person to really put Alex Jones on the radar. And I said, do you have this problem that I have, where I, you know, interview horrible people with really repulsive worldviews, and I end up kind of liking them? And I mean, I end up like hating their their worldview even more after I've talked to them. But actually, I always kind of like them as a person, and that is really something that I wish I didn't have Hmm. because you know. I'm reading like Joe Walsh's tweets. I'm like, oh, geez, that's not good. And then at the end of it, I'm like, that guy's a really good guy. What? A, he's fun. I had a nice time with him.
2: His his uh, August 2019 tweets are a lot better than his uh, whatever June. August August 2018 <laughs> tweets. Yeah, is yeah, I'm going to see him uh, this week. I'm going on uh, the Bill Moore program, uh, oh. and he's going to be on it. Uh, uh, okay. Too. So yeah. I will, yeah. I'll well, look. I mean, he, he
1: he was good television. It was it was a fun segment because you know he's a radio host and he knows how to. I to hit the, the right notes, and uh, we talked for about an hour and a half, and uh, it became like a five- or six-minute piece. But it was pretty bloody at, at points when we got into it, And uh, but it, he's a pretty smart guy, you know? So I, w- I was more impressed than I thought I was going to be. I'll just say that.
2: What I want to know before we get going uh, with uh, Steve Kornacki uh, here is how you manage to be the straight man in the building. At all times, in a straightest place, of straight men. in 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 a, in a place where there's, uh, I mean, even as a as a unpaid frequent guest on the network, and thank you very much for uh, bringing me on 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 several programs when you guest host and when you uh, hosted op, up back in the day. Um, but like, there's a there's a like a, a pressure of the audience as much as anything else of like, please go this direction, mm-hmm. uh, please. You know, imply the we, the the first person <laughs> plural, uh, even if you don't use it, and occasionally it slips on uh, uh, at least some uh, guest lists. How do you do? You like? Do you consciously build a force field around your brain when you uh, when you show up to work? I mean, largely what I do, it's elections,
3: it's polls, it's demographics, it's political history, and I, I believe in this more and more every day. I'm, I'm in this media landscape we live in now, and that is the the one of the only islands where people from all different political tribes I think can coexist is the world I'm kind of in professionally, whether hmm. I'm talking to a Republican audience or talking to a democratic audience, they want to know how the next election's looking, how the race is looking, how the, what does this guy's coalition look like? What does her coalition look like? What are the trends you're seeing? What are the, you know, what are you hearing from the different campaigns? Um, and I, I, I find that I've been doing this prof- I you know started covering politics you know uh professionally in 2002 um I've seen obviously we've all seen a lot change in that time and and the biggest thing that stands out to me um is how I think tribalism to use the word or polarization or whatever is now rampant in media um and I I really think it's important to f- you know have some spaces where um the language is the same. The topic is the same. It's, it's a, you know, so I just, I think I'm in that area. I think it's But is that, is that and,
1: tough for you to do? I mean, do you have to consciously prevent yourself? Well, from, no, but because I think there's a, every election. There's so much around you at that network. But every,
3: every election is a test, right? You know, if I go out there, there's a special election in North Carolina next week. And if I go out there and I hype, oh my God, the Democrat's going to win, you know, North Carolina 9 next week. It's going to be, you know, my model says it's going to be a 16 point. I mean, the Democrat may win it, mm-hmm. but the more I go out on a limb in one direction or the other... Chasing some kind, whatever kind of audience reaction I might have in mind or anybody might have in mind, the more you go out on a limb, the more there's something there, in, it's empirical that can blow up in your face. So if I say, listen, folks, I've been covering elections for 17 years, I know a winner when I see one And Dan McCready's going to win by 10 points in North Carolina next week, mm-hmm. and he loses by 20, I got egg on my face. The clip mm-hmm. goes, you know, so I think... My credibility is, if I'm going to exist in this world, my credibility is invested in, in you know, calling it straight. So that's why that's what I try to do.
1: Nate, Nate Silver still has a job, doesn't he? Nate Silver does great work. Yeah, he does. But he, I'm just saying he got some things wrong. Right, That happens. It, know it happens. But, you know, fan. to Steve's point, I mean. Well, I, mean I, try, I try to say I'm not. He doesn't predict. Part of it, you know, yeah, so this, it yeah. sounds like
3: the ultimate cop out, right? Yeah, and yeah, it yeah. sounds like the ultimate, you know, whatever. You can't be. Um but I don't I don't predict. And I think there was a point earlier in my career, and I, I have some, they're probably out there in the internet somewhere. Some of the, the uh, you know, Scott Brown, I remember writing a column probably for the uh, New York Observer at the end of 2000. <laughs> I'm, Trust me, I'm from Massachusetts. I know. <laughs> yeah. Scott Brown is doing better than expected, but he's not winning. This is, you know, I oh, bought really? into all that, you know, so yeah. White hand did the opposite
2: for
1: reason. I right? did. I went, yeah. you I, called, I, you I, called I, Brown? Yeah, and I hung around with him for. I think I think it was. where is where did he kick off? The, like a Rentham or something. That was his district. Yeah, yeah he's from yeah. right. Yeah, and and so yeah, I hung around with him for a little bit. I remember when he won, and uh, I was at the party that evening. And uh, Boston. I was there too. Yeah, I yeah, that, it was, yeah. It was it was a fun evening because it was just all these you know, you know, they're like ma- mass GOP guys who don't you know have a lot Both of, of right. chances right. to celebrate. They're like Charlie Baker's the most right wing guy I've ever seen. I'm like, oh, he's actually, I think, like a, he's like Jeremy Corbyn, and it's like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> dude. He's fucking Republican. So yeah, that was a, that was a fun, that was actually a fun campaign. It was a fun night too. But
3: I learned, that's, that's earlier in my career. I, you know, I thought you know, the way forward, the way to kind of carve out an identity was that go out on a limb, be a little bit more bold, make a prediction, be, and I realized it's it's a, it's a, it's a fool's game. You're going to lose. You're going to lose. Yeah. So I I got out of that. That of thinking about 10 years ago. But isn't
1: it also like um, steady employment too? I mean, if you're somebody who is so invested in in ideological viewers, for instance, and I don't want to talk about anybody on your network or anything, Rachel Maddow, but if there's, if there's (laughs) like, you know, you're, invested in for instance the Russia story that kind of goes away and you see those numbers going down and you know it was always the case with magazines uh, you know if you're in opposition you know when magazines meant something you would go up 100,000 subscriptions you know the nation magazine the nation under what, w um, w when I was, was like 400,000, or something some big number the new york point. the new york with
2: the the american uh, spectator under, uh, 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 under under clinton uh, was, that, oh, was, well, that was uh, oh, that yeah, was I, sure. I think
1: I, I, i'm <laughs> so not sure it was they almost right. had had a, like a it was close to a million or something. It was when B- Bob Tyrrell was yeah. a complete psychopath, um, hilariously called— when was uh, he
2: not— Oh, no, you said who is— Who okay, is a yeah, complete I psychopath.
1: No, I he was. I yeah, mean, yeah. if he's still alive, he still is. Um, I'm not sure, though. But who who called him uh, Chicken McMenkin, which I thought was the great <laughs> insult to Bob Tyrrell's writing in that faux-mankin style. But, yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it is, you know— despite the fact that it's politics, you probably alienate people. If you go out there and just, it's obvious. Like, I like the fact that I don't know your politics. I
2: don't yeah. know Jake Tapper's politics really either. And that they works. They both worked for Salon. So we know what the Oh, that's is. right. At the <laughs> same you time. Yeah. Did you guys work at the yeah. same time? No, he was, okay. uh, he was
1: probably five years before me, I
3: would say. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah.
1: So you have like a Che Guevara tattoo on your back <laughs> or
3: something. <laughs> yeah. I did. So I'll tell you, Salon, uh, I was at the New York Observer and the owner of the New York Observer when I was there, Jared Carter. Kushner. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, oh. Yeah. So, I, well, so the story was, I had a I had a friend who was the political editor there. Was trying. I was at a roll call in D.C. and he, I knew him from New York, uh, New Jersey, and he wanted to bring me in. And Arthur Carter was the owner, and he was selling. And the rumor was Robert De Niro was going to buy the uh, the New York Observers. I was telling everybody, this is really cool. I'm going to you know write for New York, uh, for uh, Robert De Niro. Blah blah blah. So <laughs> I'm ready to take the job. And then I read in the paper, twenty five year old. It's Jared Kushner. Nobody knows the name. What they know back then, this is you know, twelve, thirteen years ago. Son of Charles Kushner who was in jail at the time? So, yeah, I had covered yeah. the demise of Charles Kushner. I was at the press conference when Chris Christie, as the U.S. attorney in New Jersey, comes out and says, Charles Kushner masterminded a scheme to take two $10,000-an-hour prostitutes, traffic them across state lines, use them to seduce his brother-in-law, secretly videotape the affair, have the videotape delivered to himself, have a private screening to pronounce himself satisfied, and then use the videotape to blackmail his brother-in-law and gain leverage in a federal investigation, and therefore I'm indicting him under the, the Mann Act. Man, you gotta so give, we- give him credit for that scheme. <laughs> <team>. That's <laughs> a pretty <laughs> scheme, <laughs> wow, wow. That and that is, when true. i, I like tell that when scheme. i tell people that jersey politics was more fun than yeah. national politics that's yeah. the kind of that's the kind of stuff that was at the extreme i'm gonna try to but, do that uh, to my yeah. brother but i don't i mean i couldn't get anything out of him. <laughs> so, <laughs> it doesn't have anything well that got charles Kushner in prison so yeah well, you know, good don't you know <laughs> make sure chris christie isn't listening in on the conversation <laughs> chris christie kicked out of the white house too. well that's the irony back then this is 2005 when this happens this is the and christie in the moment thinks. This is the career-making thing. He is going to be governor of New Jersey because of this. He's going to take mm-hmm. down—Charles Kushner was huge in New Jersey. He was the biggest fundraiser in the state. He made Jim McGreevy governor. Um, Jim, Jim McGreevy. McGree yeah, remember this? Yeah, and then <laughs> McGreevy, McGreevy fell McGreevy. apart, and Christie yeah. was going to ride in, become the governor of New Jersey, and then go national. And the takedown of Kushner was a huge moment in that, and it, it's all working. You can see it, It's all working for Christie until— bridge thing you know 2013 2014 and then he's a wounded version of himself he still runs for president and he aligns himself with trump and he thinks he's got a way back and jared has blocked him Mm. every single time. And it's been amazing to watch because it, with that backstory and 15 years later, he is still, it's still coming back to haunt him. I mean, so
1: let me ask you a quick about the, the white house, about the the Kushner's. And I know you've covered politics. You have a very good reputation in that universe. You're not particularly ideological or people don't really know your politics. Um, you know, I mean, Trump talks to Maggie Haberman despite denouncing Maggie Haberman every day. Do you have any relationship with anybody within the administration who talks to you and, and whispers things to you?
3: Uh, at this point, not not currently within the administration. Okay, so I've, go through the people
1: who uh, got
3: fired. I thought very carefully about uh, yeah, answering yeah, that question because I, I realized the, the, cal- the calculation. Yes, was yeah. not there's obvious, plenty. So. There's another yeah. people that that's not going to narrow it down that much. Did you just um, get a text but. from
1: Seb Gorka? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> Steve. The Kornak. You think I would have used it? I can't <laughs> believe Steve
2: Kornaki. I'm Hungarian
1: but I'm British and I love Donald Trump. It's so confusing
3: that guy. <laughs> Did I see today he's he's hawking um some kind of uh, health drink or something now. He's oh, going he's, Alex Jones. Yeah, yeah, I think I saw yeah. he's doing an infomercial. He's a real rat bag. <laughs>
1: now. He's a real. I, I, he blocks me on Twitter. I don't know why. He blocks everybody on Twitter. He just called him he rat He's literally everybody. He's a rat on, bag. He probably well, that's after he, he blocked me. I mean, before I probably would have called him, you know. A rat bag. I would have called it, I was about to say something. I was like, I can't do that. Even though the show ends on Friday, I can't. <laughs> He's selling fish oil pills fish for back him. pain. There, oh there it yeah. is.
0: There it is. Oh, you know. Does he read the ads on the show?
1: Or is he selling is it his own like his old Gork- Brad, Gorka brand? <laughs> oh, my God, headline headline a right right <laughs> Holy looking cow. at the camera. It's got a script. Yeah. Relieffactor.com.
0: <laughs> That's amazing.
1: Oh. Gorka
0: fish oil. I mean, oh the, from snake oil to fish oil. I, that's mean, it's, a good, I mean, it's not it's bad. Probably soy. In that's not too. bad. Well, we should we should talk a little bit of horse race politics since we have an expert in the room. And we do have a Democratic field that's been narrowed from five hundred and sixty two thousand <laughs> candidates down to a much more manageable. Ten.
2: Nah, it's still 16, 17. Yeah, it's, yeah. About, it's about 18, but 10 on the
0: stage. It's going to be 10 on the stage. It's yeah. kind of a big deal. So we got what Biden. Why are you going to write out? Tulsi man. I'm just saying That's, we've got on. Biden, Warren, Sanders, Harris, Buttig- Buttigieg, O'Rourke, uh, Booker, Yang, Klobuchar and Castro. What is the deal for the next debate? Are there going to be two installments or are all of
2: these folks going to be on
0: one stage? Just one. Yeah, okay. Tonight so they're doing a
2: six-hour uh, thing on CNN. We're recording seven, this. Seven. Climate seven, change yeah. town hall, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I saw already that Andrew Yang wants to – perhaps he's not ruling out seizing your car mm-hmm. if it runs on gasoline. So that's exciting for Andrew. Everybody. Andrew is quietly revolutionary. It's not just the
0: $1,000. Like he's got all sorts of bold plans to to overhaul journalism and nationalize it and stuff like that that he never really has an opportunity to talk about. It's unfortunate that when I had the opportunity to talk to him I didn't I didn't stick it to him with that. I talked to him about that stuff. Yeah. yeah wow yeah <laughs> wow hello wow i remember to hit him with that just pull him out put him right on the table there <laughs> fisher <laughs> <laughs> so yeah this is uh this is interesting steve do you have any uh thoughts about the the way things are shaping up i've, I've noticed some things with the slippage of kamel harris and the yeah. polls who was supposed to be a big deal and then seems like less of a big deal mr biden who has gone back and forth a bunch what is what is moving the needle with voters at the moment it, so far as you can tell
3: it, Truly not much. I mean, you know Harris you're right she managed to move the needle for about 10 days mm-hmm. she had a, a and i think it, it revealed something i think the summer revealed something about her as a candidate and that is um when she has the opportunity to prepare to rehearse to come up with a, you know, sort of a scripted moment. And that's what she did with Biden on that stage. You know, she was waiting for the moment there, but that was all prepared. That was all scripted. They were ready to go with the t-shirt, you know, afterwards. I was um, that little girl. She pulled that off. You know, she's a seasoned prosecutor. She pulled mm-hmm. that off like a prosecutor who rehearses that, clo- you know, but think of the next debate, you know, think of Tulsi Gabbard. She's not, she didn't do any prep. I'm, I'm guaranteeing you for, for Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard comes after her. She didn't seem ready. And mm-hmm. I've seen her in a number of town halls, a number of, um, Sort of a you know television interview sessions where she has been caught flat-footed. It's pretty clear she's caught flat-footed, um, and I think there's sort of an adroitness that's been missing in those situations. And I suspect that's coming through some some version of that is coming through to voters where she was able to because of that moment that she pulled off so well. She was able to pop, and in any other circumstance, I've not the only movement we've seen in her poll numbers is down. Um, time to change that. We've seen candidates like that before. I mean, it's a damning comparison and don't read anything into this except i just see similar candidate characteristics but that was that was john edwards john edwards the lawyer Hmm. who could rehearse the courtroom presentation brilliantly and there's this clip you can find it online it is to me it summed up the john edwards experience um it was chris matthews on hardball at a college town hall you remember this one he asked him like to name a movie he liked Hmm. and it was Torturous Like three minute thing Where you And then Matthew's like Just name one <laughs> just, just name a movie Just name a movie she she got, City Take one He's got, <laughs> he's movie. got nothing Yeah just, Great American you know. Just say
0: Goodfellas. <laughs> Everyone says <laughs> Goodfellas. There's you know There's you know Jesus There's a guy who
3: could He could rehearse it You know yeah, He could prepare yeah. it But boy You know Give him something He, he, he also expecting. was really
1: interested In having sex with Videographers <laughs> <Liddy Ardwells laughs> While his wife Was dying <laughs> of cancer That's the thing. Yeah, also it's this <laughs> was one of his handicaps Yeah Well it's between those they don't read anything else in the
0: comparison yeah. secret love job
1: <laughs> by the way whatever happened to John Edwards where is he so I
3: saw the first interview with him um, in seven years he's back oh. in the triangle in Carolina he's back at, his, at a law firm I don't know if it's the one he was at before I think it might be huh. and he gave an interview at a local station there about you know three or four months ago it was a strange interview because they basically didn't ask him. Maybe it was agreed upon ahead of time. Like, you know, I'm not talking to you unless you just avoid all the interesting stuff. So he just talked about his commitment to the law. Sure. How he was glad to be back in the courtroom, glad to be helping people. But, you know, that's. How that.
2: was his hair? <laughs> was <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> that's the other clip everybody remembers, right? The uh,
2: What is that from? That, that was like a, a movie of him, like. Uh, the, uh, the it's
3: one of the, I think it was a satellite. Preparing, his, yeah. Yeah, the
2: feeds. Yeah. Which is a, a cruel thing to do, like. Getting inside the feeds of someone before they go on cable. So, has, has that made you somebody
3: going on TV? Does that get in your head every time you're in front of a camera? even if you know you're not on is that in your head like I might be on absolutely (laughs) not I I, I mean first of all no one cares
2: about me at all (laughs) I'm gonna take down Matt Welch once and for all that unpaid guest on MSNBC it's like (laughs) someone from
1: like lourockwell.net antiwar.com yeah Yeah. whatever one of those racist websites Um, what it's true Uh, Um, maybe uh, a little but yeah I think they closed that down by the way I think you can I don't don't know if you could get that anymore but but what's his name um, from Spinal tap used to do like art installations of that stuff. Like Harry Shearer. Harry Shearer. Yeah, he used to take the live feed stuff. Um, And uh, Michael Moore. Famously used one of Paul Wolfowitz, like spitting in his comb, Do you remember oh, that? Right. Uh, yeah. which was that. the the best thing about that,
2: that movie. I still, and I, I, I made a vow never to refer to my wife on this podcast. So uh, my wife and I, when we go on, <laughs> you've, already, <laughs> you've already mentioned her once today. Uh, right? uh, this is well, the second time. It
0: shows you how much he loves honors it, and cherishes. Her. It's <laughs> yeah, mostly like when,
2: uh, when we're like ready to go to the airport. Although now I'm in the TSA pre, so this doesn't like touch yeah, good me. Good for but like, you. But she's well, like, a, don't, fancy lad. don't, don't, don't Wolfowitz. Oh uh, really? Like, yeah, which like don't get in a situation where you have to take off your shoes and and you have holes in your socks. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That, that's
1: that's in the family. That's the Wolfowitz. <laughs> that's called Wolfowitz. That's different than the Spitzer. That's a yeah. different oh, sock yeah. situation. It, 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 which is fake, by the way. That and it wasn't real. What the, the Roger Stone thing. Roger, It was a Roger Stone thing. God.
2: Damn it, what, what Roger, and I think Stone? I asked Roger Stone! Once again, wait.
1: What is, what is the strange story? detail? There? Well, he, he, I think whoever I th- I'm 90 percent sure, and I think I think Stone takes credit for it because he'll take credit for anything. Yeah. Um, is uh, it's the, the, that's why he's on Alex Jones's thing now because Alex Jones like Selling he talked oil. to he had like uh, Trump on the program in January I think 2016 and then when I went down to his studio and like spent the day there. I mean, around the corner, he's like, you know, Michael, I just talked to, you know, the president. to this. And I was like, you didn't. You actually didn't talk to the president today. Like he says one time, and he takes credit for everything. So he's got sort of my influence there. But, um, yeah, Stone, I think it was that he thought that was um, – memorable detail which it turned out to be but there's no evidence that that actually was the case that spitzer liked to have sex with the socks on i mean the just the site the, the, sight, the uh, imagining elliot spitzer with his clothes on yeah <laughs> the so- added socks is doing nothing to my level of disgust you know it's still it's still pretty high
2: well we all have our own thresholds uh michael uh <laughs> no but what i wanted to say since you uh uh do really interesting things with kind of uh Electoral comparative history Like primary comparative history right now And I try my best I don't have your map Your damned map How many thousands of people work on that map with you? There's about two of us Really? Well, who, who put the stuff in? There's a whole team
3: that's coming up with new, you I mean, know, it's, it's, we're going to have like a new version of it, I think, up for, for 2020. They got a whole team doing that. But just day to day.
1: It's like programming.
3: I, is there, my my producer, Adam, is, is plugging those things in every day. And got see, a, I wonder, a is there like artist, a secret you know?
2: society of like you? It's it's uh, John King over at CNN, John right? King does it, yeah. yeah. And who does the... Uh,
1: by the way, also from Massachusetts, from Dorchester. That's is right. he really? Yeah. yeah.
2: He's from the dot. And yeah. also <laughs> some of the best television moments of in all recorded history, was the... When, when Bin
1: Laden died? Yes. A <laughs> friend of mine at CNN I told me that they, he, I think, was out to dinner. What was it? Was Dana Bash that he was married to? Who yeah. was he married yeah. to? Was he really? Yes. Yeah, Dana Bash. they divorced now. But they were out having dinner, and they called him. Like,
2: I thought Laden, that was the same day as the White House Correspondents' Dinner. And so they might have been... Uh, I can't remember
1: what it was, but, I, but, but they called him back, and he is wasted it is and you cannot find that cl- you i found it but really? it's really hard to find online i find if, it so
2: heroic yeah like totally. i'm absolutely going to be a professional in this situation and go shit-faced on camera and like announce that this thing has happened. Oh
1: yeah, uh, <laughs> you can find it online. He's Anthony did find it. Yeah, he's like in his cups. It's so great. He's like total hero. He's so red. He's like he's so red. <laughs> he's an Irishman. Come on.
3: <laughs> wow. <laughs> it who's it the happens. who's the uh, fox equivalents? I, is it Bill Hemmer? I think he's it's Bill Hemmer. Hemmer. No, hmm. that
0: may be wrong. What drunk on TV or the no? That's the board. Matt guy maps guy no
2: that's that's lou dobbs did i say that out loud
1: oh yeah i've seen it yeah oh yeah Yeah.
2: Whole,
1: I love the fact that like you don't do that <laughs> network anymore. So now you're just like, yeah. I'm
2: on Fox no, Business, I, I'm uh, really? I'll, yeah. I'll, I'm going on Fox Business, uh, I don't know, tomorrow night or whenever. Oh, I don't know. Well, he, he, he was, he was. <laughs> <laughs> you're
1: going on Lou Dobbs' show to talk
2: about immigration? It's again? been a while <laughs> <laughs> since I've been on, um, yeah, <laughs> talking about space.com with Lou. Lou oh, Dobbs. that's right, like he did space.com, he sure did. Holy shit! You no, know, if you want to go on YouTube, and I've probably mentioned this one time in the show before, but like I was on the last, uh, one of the last. Last Red Eye episodes and we were talking we just happened to have as a topic of conversation um, some dumb celebrity said something about going to the moon or the Mars or something and so like haha, let's laugh at the celebrity thing but one of my co-panelists was Lou Dobbs mm-hmm. and so I got to do the well. I would like to defer to the space.com authority here, Lou Dobbs. <laughs> and his eyes just went like purple with rage because back in the day, this is like a dot com sellout situation when everyone in like 1999 and 2000, and then I cover this stuff for the online journalism review and, uh, and other, uh, uh magazines at the time, like, people were just lunging there would be like you know uh coffee table dot com they would like give oh, up yeah. their journalism career yeah. to go make like 500
1: word dot com anything holy cow <laughs> a million dollar business dot <laughs> yeah, com true. sold for 8 the million, million, million is, dollars yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
2: As, as a thing and so he's going to start that now. Uh, maybe that's business. Like, uh Business.com. Maybe that's Business Insider. Now that Anthony's <laughs> out of the room, like uh, taking yeah, a refresher, I mean, they, they it's probably got probably it for a like Henry Blodgett yeah, uh, jam. Forty thousand uh, lira they paid for that. Thing. Uh, <laughs> this because I had just uh, we just managed to talk so much smack about you in like ten seconds. Anthony it was great. It but uh, because it was the shiv to the ribs that only he and I understood at the time, he just like he was waiting, and then about ten minutes later said, "That's the problem with libertarians; they don't know anything about what they're talking about on space." And <laughs> were actually, space, yeah, because he wanted to criticize <laughs> that's o- the problem. He was, yeah, he that's wanted the to way. criticize Obama. He hates
1: libertarians <laughs> on space and Mexicans. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he wanted to criticize Obama because Obama wasn't giving enough money to NASA. Sure, sure. And I was saying, sure. well, actually, free market. People think that Obama has done everything wrong except for his space policy in which he's allowing people (laughs) to like, you know, invest in rockets and shit like that. Uh, Anyways, it's funny. Go look at it on uh, YouTube. But I was uh, meaning to ask you the question um, in like – trying to crunch numbers myself and all of this I you know I'll look back and see okay at this time in 1975 Jimmy right. Carter was probably polling at like 7% and uh, you know McGovern was probably polling in 71 but they they weren't polling and there wasn't a race how right. do you how do you like try to judge the comparative histories and the, you know, who led at whatever times, given that the schedule and the interest yeah. is so different now.
3: Yeah. No, I, to me, it's, it's much more, I like putting them all out there. I'll put them on you know Twitter. I'll put them up on, uh, on the air a lot, just put them all out there and you can kind of, it's almost like a choose your own adventure. You can, you know, decide which one is most relevant, but I try to, in terms of interpreting them, I try to think back to, um, what were the dynamics For each race and what's the most similar. So like right now, when I think of the 2020 Democratic race, where my mind keeps going is 2004. So in 2004, if you think sort of psychologically, where was the Democratic Party? The Democratic Party was their siege mentality. George W. Bush had been selected by the Supreme Court after losing the popular vote. And then he'd taken the country into war. And, that, you know, so there was that was the mindset. And then there was the added thing with with Democrats, obviously, you know, four where they felt like their own leaders had sold them, you know, Gephardt co-authoring the war resolution and, all, and then turning around and running for president. Um, but I, I, I look back to what ha- What the story of 04 obviously is, is happened in two parts, right? Howard Dean takes advantage of that sense of like John Kerry, Joe Lieberman, Dick Gephardt, they're all for the war. Only Dean is out there, you know, against the war from the beginning. Dean takes off, he's tapping into the internet, he takes the lead in the polls, Gore endorses him at the end of 2003. Looks like he's going to be the nominee, no questions asked. And then basically the establishment of the party makes this appeal to Democrats, you've got to think about electability. This guy is going to lose 49 states like George McGovern. We just have to beat George W. Bush. And it is enough for John Kerry to win Iowa. And John Kerry wins Iowa by five points over Edwards. It's 38-33. And the entire Democratic race ends that moment. <laughs> they go to New Hampshire. Kerry surges 30 points. Dean drops 20. Kerry wins the state easily. They go down south. Edwards wins South Carolina. It's his native state. But Kerry was close. Kerry got half the black vote there. Kerry wins basically everywhere else. The race is over in two weeks. And I think that was to me. This is what's in my mind going to next year. I suspect the mood of the Democratic Party is similar where they just they want to win. They want to win in the fall and they want to unite. And they want to have a candidate and they don't want to have one of those Hillary Obama style. Watch this be wrong. We have the broker convention next year. But I suspect I, I suspect that's that's what I'm going into it thinking. And I, I'm willing to be proven wrong. But I suspect this is this is one of those cases where um, those early states are going to you know, set off of dominoes falling pretty
2: fast. One go, of the things that's uh, that sorry uh, to no, go interrupt, it. but uh uh, that strikes me about uh, Dean Which is just a historical an- anomaly And kind of strange He was for Of uh, the last four wars Before the Iraq war, right? Mm-hmm. He was for both <laughs> Yugoslav wars He was for yeah. the first Iraq war He was he was pro-war He was right. pro-war, pro-gun Like in a way that would not be uh, Tolerated in the modern Democratic Party uh, He had a certain amount Of fiscal ret- rectitude about him um, uh, Was concerned with balancing budgets All that is is true And at the same time Time, He was the only one out there being anti-war and making that central to his campaign. And at that time, at least, and I'd be curious to get your sense about it right now. um, It it seems to me in most every uh, presidential cycle, uh, there is some candidate who surprises everyone. Um, largely by being a pretty single-minded anti-war candidate. Wow, where did he come from or she come, uh, came from, if it, if it comes to that? Um, so as dean in 2004, arguably you could say that that was part of Ron Paul's appeal in 2008 yep. mm-hmm. and 2012. Barack Obama uh, like is comes out very strongly mm-hmm. anti-war, mm-hmm. and you look around at – the democratic field, and you actually have people who are more strongly uh, anti-war than they're given credit for, generally speaking. Elizabeth Warren, um, Mm -hmm. for instance, we were talking about in the recent podcast uh, today or uh, this week, um, Peter Suderman was mentioning that she, you know, she answered the question with uh, uh, when the New York Times said, you know, what do you do, uh, you know, will will there be troops uh, in Afghanistan at the end of your first term? And she was basically the only one to say, nope, there won't. Um, so there's more of an anti-war feeling but like there isn't anyone who uh, tulsi gabbard would be the obvious one who seems to be mm-hmm. cloaking her whole candidacy on on uh that thing and she's not getting that much traction she's getting uh which
1: because it matters much less now right yeah i mean no, you, you no you, one have, cares. you actually have
2: i mean how did this
1: not make major news of of the United States government brokering a deal with the Taliban. Yeah, it's <laughs> not. While the Taliban actually explodes a car bomb, killing an enormous number of people yeah. in Kabul the other day. Yeah, yeah. And it's really not getting a lot of attention 20, you know, 20 years later, whatever it is. Um, and, you know, in Khalil Azad, the exact same place. It's like, geez, he's still there? He's still doing that? Um, yeah, no, but it, it doesn't matter anymore. I mean, we can have the conversation sort of – the libertarian conversation the a Ron Paul kind of conversation about Americans supporting Saudis in Yemen. It's a couple of steps away. Nobody cares anymore. Nobody thinks we're really at war. And cause you know, compared to, you know, 2004,
0: we're really not, you know, so, casu- yeah, casu- no. Casualty counts matter. Casualty counts matter. U.S. casualty counts. Well,
1: and, you know, matter. of course, you know, we are so much more sensitive to them now. It's mm-hmm. You know, that's a positive thing that, I mean, if you look at the, the, I mean, how many people died in Vietnam? 58,000, 50, mm. uh, you know, and then in Iraq, what was it? 3,500,
2: something like that, right? Something like that? Something like that. Maybe 4,000. it's been 2,300. Yeah, so,
1: I mean, they're fairly, I mean, that was a day on Omaha Beach, right? I mean, yeah. that was... 250,000 people or whatever it was, 200,000 people in in World War II. More
2: Americans died in Vietnam the year that I was born, 1968, than have died in all— Uh, yeah, very, very, <laughs> wow. very old. And then have died. Can we in play all-
1: a CCR song over this bit right now?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it ain't me. Forty <laughs> four hundred U.S. casualties uh, in Iraq. Forty four hundred. 4, yes. uh, then have died in all, but more died in sixty eight than all subsequent American military adventures combined.
1: Yeah, 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 that was the year of Tet, and yeah, yeah. it was a pretty Tet pretty bad, rough year. Bad. But yeah,
2: any, yeah. anyway, anyway, <laughs> two, so 2004 is there, is there any, uh, is there any, uh, uh, Republican primary that strikes you as relevant here? And you're going to say 1972. Oh, you knew it. Bring it. it. Wow. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. But why am I going to say 72? Because here's what, I mean, just the stat would be
3: the president's approval rating with his own party. Right. Mm-hmm. So Trump right now is 89 on a bad day, 90 on an average day, and 91 on a good day. And mm-hmm. that's the range it's been his entire presidency, about 89 to 91 percent. Okay, look at the past presidents of either party who've been challenged in primaries. Think about how the primary went, what their approval rating was, right? So like the the, the most endangered president in modern times in a primary, um, you could say either it was Gerald Ford in 76 on the Republican side. His approval rating was 60 percent with Republicans. You could say Jimmy Carter in 80 on the Democratic side. He was 40 percent with Democrats. Bush Sr. in 92 – didn't lose any primaries. He got scared in New Hampshire by Buchanan. When Buchanan got in the race, Bush Sr. was 73% with Republicans. But remember, the war, the Gulf War in ninety one was still wearing off. By the time he got to New Hampshire, he was down to 56. So he was vulnerable, not, not to lose the nomination, but to have some protest vote. Nixon in 72 was 82%. Um, I think that's the closest number to Trump. I think you got two, two opponents coming from kind of different places in the party. I think there's a parallel there. And I, I just, I, I strongly suspect that's where we're both up. up. the other thing is
1: like, the, and remember it, Nixon won 49 states and only lost one state, our state. And we don't, yes. <laughs> well, I'm, not, I'm not saying there's a parallel to no, the general of course, election. Here. Of course, of course.
3: The other thing though, that occurs to me too, is like, look, if you're Bill Weld, you are staking this whole thing on New Hampshire. Um, and that's going to be the same thing, um, for, for Walsh. They're going to stake this on New Hampshire. Um, Independence is a highly engaged state. Independents can
1: vote in either party's primary. Yeah.
3: What independent in New Hampshire is picking the Republican ballot instead of the Democratic ballot? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the
1: other thing. So, do you think that either of these guys can can you know whether it's Walsh or, or Weld? And I mean, Mark Sanford. Some, don't Mark Sanford, Mark Sanford. Mark Sanford. And I love the fact that I said to to Good Walsh actually. You know, the the one line of attack, the the Appalachian Trail, you can't actually use because Trump is like, you know, having sex with porn stars and like grabbing. But oh, no, pussy. he would, he would
0: totally he, still. No, use he, that already line yeah. <laughs> he already has. Yeah, he already has. He just doesn't care. That's exactly it's right. Like, oh, my God. You're like, yeah.
1: oh, yeah. Appalachian Trail is like, seriously, dude, <laughs> but in, but in, the, in today's <laughs> Republican universe.
3: Would it work? I think mean, it would kind of work. It probably it? would. Yeah. I probably <laughs>
1: wouldn't. But I wonder if if it like, will include Sanford just like, to appease Matt of uh, Walsh Sanford Weld. I mean, all of these are to be very generous, like quixotic campaigns. Yeah. Will they make any dent in New Hampshire? Because what you point out is actually a pretty pretty interesting point. Do you think they can shave off anything at all? Make any impact?
3: Eight to ten percent. Yeah, you know, something like that. I mean, mm. if, if Trump. I don't, I don't even know how do you interpret like if Trump got in New Hampshire too. remember all these like random people put their names in the ballot. You'll have if Trump got 80 percent in New Hampshire and there was 20 percent for other. Yeah. How do you interpret that? You know, Bush senior was 53, 37. And the thing and the, the thing with Bush senior, too, is like this is uh, this is like an obscure point. But like when you think back to 92 in New Hampshire, like the reason you look at it on paper now and I tell people about Buchanan almost beat Bush and they like, nah, he lost by 16 points. The, they called the race at eight o'clock and they did the speeches at eight o'clock in 1992. It was fifty-one forty-nine because the early, the early returns in New Hampshire are all from Manchester's Buchanan's best part. It didn't look like a double digit race <laughs> until after
1: midnight. So is, Ma- is Manchester story- the most anti-Semitic place in the world? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> big, big Blue- Holocaust in there was, contingent there. It was oh blue-collar French Canadian.
3: That was the uh, that was that is was that, Manchester. Is that right? And he got he got out of Manchester. He was in fact leading at one point. That was the other thing. Clinton was tied with Paul Songas. And the Clinton folks said, this is only going to get worse. And they went to the media and they said, Bill Clinton's coming down at like 8.04 p.m. And Clinton came down and he called himself the comeback kid. Remember that? That's right. Yeah. And the media bought into it because, oh, my God, it's tied. He was down 20. And then it ends up being basically a 10-point strongest win. So history records it as one thing, but in the moment Clinton got the benefit of a tie in, in in New Hampshire, and at the moment, Buchanan got the benefit of a near tie with Bush, even though you look at it now and it's-
1: it, it is funny how history does you know rearrange our memory because I, I mean I remember that that comeback kid and the the rapturous applause afterwards right. I mean I just mentioned Tet I mean which was an enormous military defeat for for the North Vietnamese, remembered as a huge, huge American catastrophic American loss, yeah. American loss when it wasn 't at all, mm. but like yeah, that's a songgus. Victory by what was the margin? Eight or nine points. Yeah, thirty-four twenty-five. Yeah, yeah. I I, and when you said that, I was like, oh shit, he did. That's right. But it took it took till
3: the next morning, especially in that era when it's you know it's basically the broadcast networks come on you know ten o'clock at night. Yeah, that's it. There's no twenty four hour cable news. There's no social media. So what they say then that sets the tone. Is it a better
1: time now or? It's With bit, all this noise, I
3: mean it's better and worse isn 't it yeah like there's i i you know I think my tendency is to short sell is to short change the the positives of the media culture we live in now because I think they are good, and I think we probably glorify the the, the good old days when there were some glaring problems there, but mm-hmm. I do think I do wonder sometimes if things you know, if they move too fast and it's too, I, I just think we're, the question I have in my book all the time, because I make the book, it's, you know, Rise of Tribalism. You know, I can't even remember the title. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the question, on Amazon I, now. I go and I do these events and the question always comes up and it's like, how do we fix this? And it's like, "But you know, but if I had that answer, I would have written a different book. But uh, the best answer I could come up with that I tell people at these events is it's not really an answer, but it's just my conclusion looking back on this is, I mean, we're just, we're, we're hardwired as human beings uh-huh. to be tribal. It's yeah. just, it's in our DNA. And the thing that I the thing that I took away from researching this book which is basically late 70s to present um through the 90s at least the evolution of our media and our technology is just maximally conducive to that tribal impulse mm-hmm. that's in us. Absolutely. And right, so yeah. I and I don't know if it, if it's the only thing I think of is we're we're endlessly creative as human beings and if we just if we reach a breaking point collectively do we engineer some way i don't know what that would be
0: there's something you said a moment ago about the romance that people have when they think about our media culture yeah. and our political climate and it is very much the case that to the extent we've always we've we've been you know one we've been united and and, and partisanship hasn't mattered that is the exception and not the rule you yeah. had some pretty fractious political yes. <laughs> debates in mm-hmm. america and have had them for most of our history at some points it, it felt like America was coming apart at the seams in the 1960s and 1970s and various other times in America's history. Perhaps the 1990s, not so much. By the early 2000s, we were kind of back there again. You can, you can, the
1: the test that I will give to, to listeners is go out, and I'm sure that one of you psychopaths will tweet all this stuff back at I me, mean, is that, uh, who's the first president you can find an image of at a public protest as Hitler? I think it's probably LBJ. Hmm. There's a bunch, I mean, there right. are posters, you can find the posters of of Nixon, like, th- those are the easy ones. Reagan, very, very common, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, George W. Bush, obviously. Clinton, I think, got off. Uh, it was- <laughs> I, it, It's more it, Southern kind yeah, of stereotypes. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of like Hillbilly Bubba chasing girls slick and Willie. things like that. slick were pro- pro- fewer protests. Yeah. Yeah, fewer protests, but, you know. But you know who got it back then? Hillary. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's was, right. That's you know, right. That's right. Get on
3: your broomstick. I yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. sign I have, I think, the pictures in my book, the protests about, you know, Hillary care. Yeah.
1: So, but this n- number that we hear often, and I think this is, I mean, you'll know this, the, uh, of this Sort of tribal politics now in this this division that these old polls of if somebody was to marry a, yeah, somebody, an opposite yeah. party, yep. right? Yep. And those have— 60%.
3: 60% plus now.
1: And it used to be yeah. like six. Those yeah. are
3: Those are interracial marriage numbers.
1: Yeah, no, this is yeah. like yeah. loving versus your political yeah. opponent. Because Let's, I think all what? of our— can, can, What's that,
0: Camille? I, I, I had to open. Is the, it, it, open the uh, gate. At my Emergency house. broadcast. System. Oh, I thought I thought <laughs> there was an Amber Alert for no, you. <laughs> someone when when people <laughs> ring the get the bell at my house, it, it rings my phone. This is a little inconvenient. Who the fuck is ringing your bell? At- let's let's not. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm allowed to have company over.
1: So yeah, I mean, y- y- these numbers are obviously sort of pretty pretty crazy yeah. now. So I mean, it is to to Camille's point. It, you know, people always sort of glorify the great, you know, good old times. But I think in a way that that is American exceptionalism. Hmm. Because if you look at other countries, this is very, very common, right? I mean, whether it's, you know, South Korean parliament of people punching each other in the face or Vladimir Zhirinovsky throwing, you know, glasses of (laughs) orange juice on people. (laughs) Or, you know, I mean, Germany in the 1920s prior to 1933. Or I don't know. People getting
2: shot and killed. This week in the House of Commons. This (laughs) This week in the House of Commons,
1: too. I mean... That is madness. I mean, keep in mind that we're three years from, from the Brexit vote. I and mean, it was expected to be two years of yeah. negotiations. But three years, this is, I mean, it, this is the normal state of affairs, right? I mean, America, for, for being fairly calm about these things and those numbers of yeah. would you allow or, or would you appreciate it if your, your your son or daughter married somebody to the other political party? And that's, you know, you said 60-odd percent. Now it used to be 6 percent. that people just didn't care. Is that that's strange, in a way, because if you go to European countries, and know it's a particularly moment in Europe right now because of the sort of populist moment, but this is true f- throughout, you know, they're having runoffs in France, as you know, with in the 1990s. Like, the late 90s is the Le Pen time. It's pre-9-11. It's pre-refugee crisis, et cetera. It's not a normal thing that you have a sort of placid political climate, is it? But I think what's what's
3: changed here, I think there are two things that have changed here. And number one is that the basic fault lines in this country of there are demographic that are regional and that are cultural have now all sort of converged on um, team red or I'm team blue. And it, it, so it's just from the function in terms of a functioning political system. When I was born, in Massachusetts, when you and me grew up, um, you still had liberal Republicans yes. from Massachusetts who would go down to Washington. Bill Weld. And Bill Weld, Ed yeah. Brook, you know, in Brooke, Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, there was a Republican congressman from, you know, just before I was born, where I grew up. Um, and very right wing Democrats. So, right, the divide in Massachusetts yeah. was almost Protestant-Catholic, and that was that yeah. was Republican-Democrat, liberal-Protestant-Republicans, conservative-Catholic-Democrats. I, I mentioned that Louise Day-Hicks
1: on the show oh, the last geez, episode. Yeah, You talk know where a, I stand, yeah. Talk about a right-wing uh, uh, Democrat.
3: A Democrat, right, who was then, yeah, Joe Moakley took her place. So mm-hmm. anyway, but I mean, so this was the political culture of Massachusetts, and that would produce, you know, a conservative Democrat who would then go to Congress and might be with, you know, a— conservative Southern Democrat, a liberal union member from New Jersey. So there's this diversity within each party, isolationist, conservative, taft Republicans from the Midwest with (laughs) liberal Republicans from the Northeast. They shared what, so there was, there was an incentive to work across party lines because ideology was sort of um, separate from party identity. Um, And and there weren't these, these clear regional um, uh, alliances the way we have now. So I think that was, that was one thing. And now it's just, it's all sorted out. You know, Massachusetts is, is that, not sending.
1: But, but is that because of media in a way? And the, well, that's, that? the other, that's the other part. Because of it ma- I mean, remember National Review hated uh, Dwight Eisenhower. Yeah, uh, like like when when f- 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 spittle flecked attacks always on Eisenhower <laughs> and uh, against Rockefeller Republicans. Right. You know, and that's why. Bill Buckley ran for, for mayor of New York City.
3: But think think about how media has evolved. The other big way media has evolved. First of all, like the reach of something like National Review back then, it had a significant voice. It was it was influential, but it was also limited to somebody who's going to get a mail subscription That's right. to it. That's or somebody right. who's going to pick it up at the newsstand. Hmm. And the ones that had the widest influence, you're thinking of the national there's no cable television, right? There's no computers, no internet. There's national broadcast networks and there's big city major daily newspapers. And they are all the, the economic incentive for that type of media was what you, broadcasting. You know, it was, we need to get as wide and diverse an audience as we can, to because we there's three networks. We're not going for niche. We're not cable. Nobody knows what cable is back then. You, so you needed Democrats, you needed Republicans, you needed liberals, you needed conservatives, you needed the South, you needed the North. If you wanted to be a successful broadcast network, which was the only way people were getting information from television, you had to have a politically diverse audience. And I think that incentive... Yeah. Has changed, and I think the internet
2: and social media has just accelerated it. There's a uh, the the history of, of uh, newspapers is very much like that. There, there's a uh, I uh, went to school kind of in uh, UC Santa Barbara, and uh, we uh, had our uh, <laughs> newspaper under a, a tower called Stork Tower. It's named after Thomas Stork, who is uh, the uh, legendary publisher of the Santa Barbara News Press, uh, and also at some point, I believe, a senator uh, from uh, California, like Phil fill in, fill in, in, in the 30s or something. But he had uh, uh, either uh, bought or or started the news and then there was the press. One was Democrat and one was Republican. And this is in the 30s. And you think if, you, and he bought the other. Which
1: used to also be the name of a lot of newspapers. Yes. Have, I mean, you know, like the Springfield Democrat.
2: Uh, and, uh, and he thought um, even those though 30s and money's kind of tight and uh, they like begged him to buy the, Opposing newspaper. It was important to have both the Democrat and the Republican newspaper. It would be bad, and so he published them both uh, for as long as basically he could. And then, like a lot of other uh, newspapers in the consolidation era, they combined to form one. And you're right. I mean, part of objective journalism is absolutely an advertising play, yeah. uh, and like the the history are completely intertwined as well as with a kind of a consolidation uh, of the industry, and it built a culture there. Um, And I think a lot of uh, uh, conservatives or people who felt kind of left out of the way that those people Talked about what they presented As objective stuff And I'm sure this uh, this comes up In in, uh, in in thinking about the 90s They felt left out of that They felt like you were pretending to be right. Super, uh, 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 you know, objective Or fair or above it all, above the fray But you seem to be leaning You seem to be trying to ape the New York Times You want to be the junior New York Times but you're in Arkansas or wherever else um, And so you're kind of leaning that direction um, And it builds up this Pressure for people to go to an alternate of media in the 90s that's talk radio yeah, right rush that's just boom i remember, yeah, I remember uh, rush on the cover of time magazine there was a uh I, mm. I was uh living in europe at the time and i came back for christmas of 94 and uh i'm out at my uh, mom's place in uh in oregon in the woods like just chopping chopping wood not not a euphemism uh for <laughs> yeah. makes make some money clearing some brush dear uh, god uh, clearing
1: some brush is a euphemism yeah <laughs> uh
2: and uh And I I, this is in the middle of an eight year stretch of not living in the country. So I'm like totally alienated. I have no idea how this place works. I still don't. But um, and I'm like just listening to the AM radio. And my God. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Right. Like that didn't happen, no. you know, when I had left the country just five years before, like everything was Hillary and yeah, this, yeah, and yeah, the yeah. liberals are doing yeah, this. Yeah. And it's all like new. And it's, it's a different, that in itself is a different culture than what I had seen before.
3: And that's, I, I, I believe in there's sort of an inevitability to, to so much of, of history, but I do. One of the questions I was left with doing this book was um, the role of the Clintons in, in all of this. And, and um, just because the, the, they represented these values that were forged to a lot of people. I think they represented these values that were forged in the late 1960s to Newt Gingrich. You know, Newt Gingrich defined himself politically as fighting the after effects of um, the sexual revolution of the, you know, the cultural liberalization one of late One wife 60s. at a time. <laughs> well, I mean, right. With, you know, with an interesting and personal. Again,
1: <laughs> make like John Edwards, make sure she's dying. <laughs> yeah. That <was> the, oh <laughs> hey, I'm God. what? You can't get mad at me. Get mad I at, at Newt <laughs> Gingrich. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't divorce my wife when she was dying. That was only the first one. Give me I, that. <laughs> I divorced her when she was very healthy.
2: Actually, <laughs> oh, God, I you you go you on. You yeah, no, well. but um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, sorry.
1: <laughs> um,
3: but I think that you know I I think back there was this turning point for the Democrats where it was going to be either Bill Clinton or Mario Cuomo. And Mario, if you remember this, this is one of the first cable news dramas. Mario Cuomo the governor of New York. He is the most popular Democrat in the country by far. He's got the airplane idling at the Albany Airport. It's the filing deadline for the 1992 New Hampshire primary. And it's this cable news, CNN, it's the only one in town, K, CNN drama all day. Is he going to get on the plane or not? And he chooses not to get on the plane. And because Hamlet of that. Hamlet on the Hudson, right? And, and I just, I think there's a, there's a version where he gets on that plane. And I think he, he gets in the race, and think of what happens two weeks later. Two weeks later, the Jennifer Flowers tapes come out, right? Yeah. And what was on the Jennifer Flowers? Obviously, it was Bill Clinton and Jennifer Flowers. It was also Bill Clinton talking about Mario Cuomo. As a mafia, right. is this mafioso guy? He talks like trashing Mario Cuomo with these Italian American stereotypes. Didn't you call him Fredo. And <laughs> <laughs> well, that is that so, is that is funny because when the whole Fredo thing broke, I remember Mario Cuomo had a sensitivity to Godfather references, mm-hmm. and then I saw his, so, yeah. Um so Italian American stereotypes. He was he was very sensitive to the idea. So when, when that, I'm just imagining a world where Mario Cuomo's running <laughs> for president. Amazing. He's 30 points ahead of, of Bill Clinton in the polls. Then the Jennifer Flowers uh, uh, tapes come out. And Clinton is on there slurring Cuomo is Cuomo would have I think Cuomo you never know you never bet against Bill Clinton I think there's a world where Cuomo just destroys Bill Clinton entirely in that moment and becomes a president and one thing you say about Mario Cuomo Mario Cuomo I don't know if he'd be a good president you know policy wise or anything there is no indication that man was ever going to be disloyal to his wife that man was ever going to have an affair all of the personal scandals you got with Bill Clinton all of the lawyerly parsing you know all the stuff that drove Republicans nuts. Uh, Matilda Cuomo was not going to be Hillary Cuomo. That's a neutral statement. That's just a statement of fact. You don't get all of the stuff that riled the write-up about the Clintons in the 1990s, and you don't get impeachment. I just – I wonder
0: what history looks like. I love that we could just like pull a string on you and point point you at an (laughs) epoch, and then you just go off. (laughs) It is amazing. Um, But it's funny – the horse race aspect of the conversations that we collectively have, um, mm-hmm. and that I've had in various contexts and media, doing stuff, have always been the, my least favorite things. Um, and we couldn't be more different in that way. I'm gesturing at you, Steve, yeah. uh, for listeners at home. Um, I'm thinking back to your earlier response when I asked about uh, Kamala and how she was up and now she's down, and the you your answer address some of the sort of performative theatrical aspects of the debate and the, the tactical kind of clinical aspects of both preparing for the conversation and the things that are are rather artificial, the kind of superficial nonsense that actually makes a candidate pop when they're running for high school class president. None of that stuff is really substantive when it comes to whether or not these policies will actually work, whether or not they'll actually make the country better off that sort of thing. Um, I wonder if if you ever get a bit perturbed by the fact that you tend to focus on these kind of clinical tactical aspects the the analytical aspects of the race when there are, are these these other dimensions of the politics um that perhaps I suspect you have perspectives on yeah. even if you're not talking about them actively yeah um does that ever grate you at all I I think
3: this is an area I think the area that I, I am in now is the area where I can, I hope, add value. I I, I hope that the um, – as you can see, I'm interested in political history. Mm-hmm. It's something I – the, the best thing to me about working at NBC right now is that my computer at my desk is is hooked in to the NBC News archives. Mm-hmm. And I, it's searchable. And I will – in my spare time, I'll sit in that office and I will watch old NBC News clips and broadcasts. And um, and I, I, I think there is – value from that value through just going back and trying to understand the arc of each campaign the coalitions that emerged from each campaign what brought them together what broke them apart and trying to relate to that and i think that's where i can add value and i think when you start getting to i i, I think my own personal politics are the least interesting part about me hmm. um there are a lot of areas i just be honest with you, there's a lot of areas about my politics that i'm i'm uncertain of to this day and then you catch me in the right mood i'll say one thing and catch me in another mood, i'll say the other thing yeah there are areas where i've changed my mind just radically and wildly in the course of my life. And those are the kinds of, those are the kinds of conversations I think I might have with, uh, with friends or it's, it's just, I'm like everybody else. I'm just trying to figure it out. I think an area where I, where I can actually add some value and some, some background and I hopefully, hopefully some, some, uh, uh something that's, uh, that's worth putting on air is, is, is what I'm doing now.
2: Well, so. One way of one way of thinking about that too, is that w- why has Kamala Harris stumbled when it wasn't the, uh, theatrical, like scripted moment, partly because she has a really bad time defending her policies. She's very, very kind of loose and slippery of saying, oh yeah, Medicare for all is going to do this. And then like, ah, well, not quite for all, it's going to be like this. She's, I mean, uh, in comparison to Elizabeth Warren, regardless of what one thinks of Elizabeth Warren, you know, she's got a plan for this. Uh, she actually does have a plan for this and she can recite it and the, 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 the texture of those plans doesn't really change on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kamala Harris, it does. You feel like she's presenting herself as a criminal justice reformer despite a record that suggests otherwise. And people knock her for it. That's what Tulsi Gabbard did. Um, and she can suffer because she's not good enough at locking down what her policy is. And uh, frankly, from my point of view, it's <laughs> yeah. not been very good policy.
1: But but it's, it's a great place for you to be, Steve, because – I mean, look, we've realized recently that nobody really cares about ideology or positions that that should be conservative positions or Republican positions, for Mm -hmm, instance. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Steve mentions that – uh, Trump's approval rating amongst Republicans vacillates wildly between 89 and 91. Right? <laughs> now, this is a man who is the least conservative president probably since Richard Nixon. Right. Mr. Wage and Price Controls and, you know, the EPA and Affirmative Action, things like that. You know, so much like Joan Hoff, the historian, wrote this book you know, 20 years ago called R- Nixon Reconsidered. And it was reconsidered from a liberal perspective and saying he was a good liberal president.
2: Ralph Nader uh, uh, had one of the forwards of his book talking about what a great um, – Pro-regulation, uh, President Richard Nixon. Yeah, no,
1: exactly, and and you know Jimmy Carter d- deregulates trucking and things like this. Is they so it's kind of all over the map. But you know Donald Trump, you know an anti-free trading president. Number one, that's a that's like like this kind of shibboleth of the Republican Party. Nobody cares. Nobody cares at all. I mean the the things that Donald Trump does and says that are conservative. Mm-hmm. I mean th- it's not even that he <laughs> says things that are conservatives and does things that aren't he just has there's no coherence to his positions at all and nobody in the party cares right you have four or five people who care and then you know the radio host that you know Mr Conservative Rush Limbaugh will run Jeff Flake out of town in a rail and screaming about what a what a um backstabber and scumbag he is despite the fact that Jeff Flake is you know you know, Goldwater conservative. I mean, not just because he's from Arizona. I mean, he is, he is a conservative in that way. I mean, he's a libertarian, but when it comes to economic issues, the same thing is true for, for the others, right? Justin Amash. I mean, they're being regularly attacked and pilloried on conservative radio. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh man, it's just a team sport. These people mm-hmm. said in, 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 in lip synced. For years, they were like a Milton Friedman cover band. They didn't really
2: care. <laughs> I mean, Rush Limbaugh has come out and said about a, a month and a half ago. Tucker's a good example uh, of that too. That uh, mm-hmm. oh, you know, government spending and deficits and Deficit. stuff. No one really doesn't ever matter about yeah, that. Dick no Cheney, one, right? No deficits don't matter. Well, I mean, well,
1: Rush went further and said nobody ever cared. Uh, you, uh, you all you have to do is go back if you had the steve kornacki nbc machine that was machine. just that was just the rush limbaugh machine you could find him caring about deficits <laughs> you know for eight years in the 90s and then for eight years from you know 2008 to 2000 you know, one it's, thing it's, that i saw
2: <clears throat> steve is i think uh, uh, unnaturally and wonderfully interested in bill weld um I, massachusetts uh, that's yes, I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, who shares a, a birthday with me I did you read bill weld's novel Mackerel by Moonlight. Yes, that is
1: wow. <laughs> Sorry.
3: Sorry. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen. the creation of the Quabbin Reservoir. Yeah, a yeah, Quabbin yeah. yeah.
1: Reservoir novel, <laughs> which every publisher was like, it went to auction. They were so excited about it. A Quabbin Reservoir novel? <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> how are we going to keep it in print
0: okay <laughs> <laughs> isn't hell. that isn't that book best known for the fiery orgy scene in it
1: uh, uh no you might no. you might be thinking of uh scooter libby's book <laughs> uh which <laughs> had w- which did have uh, i always get them confused a uh, a uh, japanese uh themed book which had a lot of uh sex scenes in it and next next uh, episode i'll I'll read some of them i'll start the show huh, reading scooter so libby's that is such a good idea Looks like weld's got three books Novels? He's written a few yeah, yeah. yeah. and so oh, I, I, I... I remember Mackerel by moonlight yeah, big that's... ugly and stillwater are the other two wow, wow. stillwater might
3: be the one that was based on the draining of the quabbin on the creation of the quabbin reservoir cuz it was the yes yeah. I, yes okay that's the one i was thinking of but yeah. Mackerel by moonlight was the memorable that
1: time. is oh. really a shame right. for you screwed those up <laughs> oh, sorry right. right? <laughs> i can i was still reeling from you knowing the name and of I, it and no i consider myself well that. read no recovery can we edit that out we fix it in post no no absolutely not we don't want to save them on that one? nope absolutely usually not. on this show we're trying to save people for saying things that are a little off color <laughs> that might get them fired or to use the nomenclature of the day canceled. <laughs> steve gets the premise of the bill weld novel wrong so
2: i was looking at uh, uh one of the only there, there haven't been many polls for the gop yeah. field field for understandable reasons uh, yeah. mostly uh because it's futile but um there was one uh, in august Uh, Bill Weld, where they asked uh, the Weld voters, it was like an 86 to 14 poll, uh, as they tend to be, um, who would you vote for if Weld was not in the race? Um, And it was, I think, 7% uh, said uh, uh, third party, uh, 6% (laughs) 6 said they wouldn't vote, and zero uh, said that they would vote for Trump. So it's like, it's purely it, it, these aren't Republicans or if they're, they're Republicans who are now alienated from the party and just can't wrap their hands, yeah. heads around Donald Trump.
1: Can right we, now. can we vote for David French this time around too? Or that, <laughs> is that opportunity? <laughs> he's gone? A, always he's, write him in.
2: Yeah. He's uh, running with Evan McMullen on a uh, unity ticket. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. Whatever happened to no labels. Do you, is that still in operation? It is, it is, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Is it? Is it still like funneling get, money? <laughs> someone's, getting, someone's getting a paycheck. They no try
2: labels. to like get me excited about once a year, not forgotten of all the crap that I've written about them. Like, oh, you know, no labels. We're having a you know a great conference and yeah. in Langley or something. Yeah, but no,
1: yeah, nobody cares, guys. No, <laughs> sorry, sorry, no labels, people. But you can come on the show and defend your um, irrelevant organization. Yeah, <laughs> Bloomberg and Howard Schultz.
2: Yeah, Howard Schultz is is uh, so much back pain.
1: He's sure gone, right?
2: So much back. Yeah, I mean, he should he, get those fish pills from fucking I'll be <laughs> 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 back in the race tomorrow? Uh, I mean, the thing is, like the fake uh, English accent. You, it's in in a polarized time, and the 2018 midterms highest turnout in hundred years, yeah, right? For midterms, yeah, yeah. So, like in polarized time, the last people you want to screw around with are independents yeah. and third parties, and like, uh, and like you you referenced. Uh, Michael sort of the Amash Jeff Flake thing and they're not just hated by Rush Limbaugh they're hated by 98 percent of MSNBC viewers too like I when I, I will go mm-hmm. on there it's true and yeah, yeah. and say uh, and I and that's that's a total exaggeration but mm-hmm. uh, when I say something nice about uh, uh, Jeff Flake or something um, you always hear this thing why don't they do something and regardless of yeah. what he does he wrote a book uh, when he was a senator slamming uh donald trump as a fake conservative the conscious of a conservative he did a,
1: a goldwater call out too uh, Yeah, a goldwater call out
2: <laughs> i mean he was the president of the goldwater institute for, yeah. a, for a long time uh he did some stuff uh I, I, at one point and uh I, he was uh accused by a uh a cable news host of not having uh come out against uh trump as being a birther early enough and i went back and looked and like Flake was condemning Trump as a birther on the Senate floor in 2011. <laughs> like he's done some stuff. He didn't do the thing that you wanted He didn't vote this way especially on this confirmation battle or whatever. But there is no more hated place in America than not even the ideological middle but the temperamental middle. Mm. Like I you think pick said I I think that, you know, I was following Justin Amash around a couple of weeks ago in Grand Rapids and his message was not I, for a
1: story by the way.
2: Uh no. You're just following just saying, around. Just kind of creeping you, on him. I like him a lot. No, no, he just won't talk to you. uh, Sun's out, gun's out. I mean, I want to see his workout regimen. Um, Is uh, he like cut or something? Yeah, yeah, he got swole. He got swole. Really? It's it's all the talk among the...
1: I was talking about Dave Chappelle, too, because he's pretty cut these days, too.
2: Yeah. I mean, but he's looking a little fat. Yeah. That's what I thought. Chappelle. Well, he's wearing a jumpsuit. So uh, that's that- a really yeah. bad jumpsuit. Yeah, and well, yeah. he
1: looked like he was going to fix a car in between those jokes. <laughs> uh, continue with the Justin Amos. <laughs> Uh No, just that he
2: was he was preaching the same thing that like you know uh, the, the the rancor in our politics preexists Trump and it's bad. We should look at someone we disagree with as just someone that we disagree with. It doesn't mean that they're a bad person. Very like peace, love, and understanding. And it played okay in, in his own district, and he's very good at speaking in front of people and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And that's just a loser of a message, I think, in, in modern politics. Right? There's no, I'm in, the, I'm Mr. Centrist man uh, here, telling you that you're all going a little bit too crazy right now. Nobody wants to hear that, Steve. Question
1: for you is that when I when I was uh, talking to Joe Walsh, and I, I he was telling me um, before we started, and then if he, he said it, uh, you know. Uh, when we were recording too of his disappointment with the, his tea party comrades and that class of people that came in and, um, not only the people that came in, they were there before too. And he said, um, he was most disappointed in his friend and mentor, Jim Jordan. um, And so I asked him that, you know, all of these Tea Party people that very easily transition to Trump, who is, you know, as we were saying, as I was saying before, is ideologically incoherent. But as much as you can get out of him, he's the least Tea Party person you can possibly imagine. I mean, this debt has exploded in, you know, historic levels. Mm -hmm. Um, What happened to those voters in the sense that? Did they ever care? And the reason I thought they yeah. did care was because of the marches. Right. And it's it's so flip to say to, to hear people say, "Well, it was because it was a black president." Mm-hmm. And sure, that probably animated some people. But I, that's not the marches. The
0: marches yeah. started before that. Yeah, the marches started before yeah. that. And mm-hmm.
1: it, it doesn't quite explain it. Yeah. What happened to those voters?
3: This is where you know. This is where I might remember the '90s differently than than other people. Um, but I, I this is why. I believe we saw a version of the Tea Party with Bill Clinton. Um, we lived in a different media atmosphere back then. You know, obviously, the only Internet was Prodigy and CompuServe. So it was very tough to organize people virally. You only, the only cable news was CNN. But right. I although, remember although,
1: of course, it was Drudge that first
3: uh, took Drudge the in. Drudge in it. the second term, yeah. yeah. But I, yeah. I think back to 93, 94, you know, Hillary Care. You know, the protests that were taking place across the country when Mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton was going out there trying to sell her. I mean, you look at the I mean, you can go back and look at video in the NBC archive. You could go look at the photos of it. Go read the news accounts. And you have hundreds of people turning out and you read their signs and the sign. These were venomous messages. I mean, I said one of them said, like, get back on your broomstick. You know, references to Clinton as a witch references to socialism, references to this, you know, there are. the mobilization consistent
1: lesbian references. There was,
3: yeah, I mean, it was, and it was, it wasn't just Hillary. It was the Clinton agenda. It was his tax hike in 1993, you know, talk radio the, The big thing was Bob Dole went on, um, Clinton gave his final pitch for his tax hike in 1993 to cut the deficit. And Dole comes on, Senate leader after that, to give the rebuttal. And the only thing you could do back then was you could say, call the switchboard. And so Dole gives out the number to call the congressional switchboard. The thing got flooded. The thing shut down overnight. It was so overwhelming. And it actually worked to get, you know, every Republican voted against it. But I I think back, this is when you had Jerry Falwell selling videos. Clinton Chronicles, um, yeah. The Clinton Chronicles (laughs) implicating (laughs) Bill Clinton in murder. You had Rush Limbaugh, the the Vince Foster suicide. You had Rush Limbaugh. Ruminating on the— yeah, right, the body <laughs> was moved. you yeah. know um this he's stuff, getting that
1: park on his own this stuff was out there this stuff yeah. was
3: going on and yeah. it didn't get aired the same way sure. stuff does now and it didn't get the sunlight on it that stuff does now but i i think you yes. know you put social media you put the the kind of atmosphere we've had the last 10 years in the 90s i think you would have had it
0: is, is is that is what people are referring to when i hear this phrase often uh that the guardrails when it mm. comes to media are, are so sort- gone. They've been annihilated because now pretty much anything can find its way into the the mainstream media ecosystem.
1: Mm. But I mean, look, to Steve's point, that's absolutely right. I mean, those instincts were always there. I mean, the the instincts were created by Twitter and the Internet. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was Newsletter culture,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know Ron Paul, of course. I mean those those insane and racist. I knew you. I knew you'd do it. I look, it's true. Sorry, I knew you'd sorry. Do it. sorry. I mean, uh, who I don't know whoever was writing them. Ron Paul, you know his name was on them. It was like <laughs> the name of the it was like the Ron Paul survival report. It's like, yeah. oh, buddy, really? Um, but you know, you have those things, and the thing that Hillary Clinton wasn't wrong about the much mocked, uh, I think it was the best, right? right. I mean, there, it,
2: it, there was, mm-hmm. there was a conspiracy. She was wrong about the whole thing that they made up the thing about. Lewinsky. <laughs> that was kind of, the, no, that, 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 that was, that was, detail. that was, uh, uh, it, this is, that, yeah, that, and, that was the yeah, sentence. And, yeah, no, and, was, the, and, a, and her <laughs>
1: vicious murder of Vince Foster. <laughs> but beyond that, <laughs> no, it's it a was, honey trap. It's and a Jeffrey Epstein, but that came up. Oh, and what's his name? Ron Brown too, right? Yes. Helicopter crash. Yeah. That was a conspiracy theory for that. too. I got that book. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so so at the time it was being there it, it truly was, and that well, they had like some, these um uh, what was it uh, the, i can 't remember if it was in the In a press conference, you'll remember you wrote a book about it, but where they were detailing how the vast right wing conspiracy actually brought the news back into America, funneling it through particularly the Daily Telegraph in the UK through Ambrose Evans Pritchard, Ah, who was somebody who was writing all this conspiracy stuff, wrote a book about it that Regnery published. And then ultimately it would come back. And, you know, and Scaife, um, who is a fantastic and interesting story because Bill Clinton spoke at Scaife's funeral. Yes, they ended up. Right? right. They ended up being buddies. The same thing is true with— David Brock. uh, Well, David Brock goes the other way, but um, the guy from um, um, Newsmax, uh, the publisher of Newsmax. uh, uh,
0: Chris
1: um, Ruddy, yeah. Yeah, Chris Ruddy, who wrote a book— about the Vince right. Foster "quote unquote" suicide, which was a suicide, and he <laughs> became friendly with Bill Clinton too. Yeah. They are friends now. It's a very weird that it's it's very similar in so many ways. At the end, everyone became friends, which is which is bizarre. But this stuff really did exist in this conspiratorial way. And the best, the best the final thing I said is the best um, kind of encapsulation of that in the best kind of you know oral history of it. Byron York. The conservative journalist at the Washington Examiner used to be at the American Spectator, wrote an amazing, amazing piece about this for the Atlantic. Uh, I think when Michael Kelly was the editor of the Atlantic before he died in Iraq, and there's a terrific piece about the decline and fall of the American Spectator. I've talked to Matt Labash, who was on on staff at the time, about how crazy it got was with spectator? the Spectator. Uh, yeah, he was I did a Spectator, that oh. um, and uh, the Arkansas Project, yeah, and sure. right. you know uh, all of these. I, I got a message. On Twitter, from uh, our friend uh, who's been on the show, Ben Dominick, f- for mentioning Parker Dozier's bait shop. Oh yeah, which only like four people on Earth would remember. It was part of the the uh,
2: Arkansas project oh, conspiracy. Remember, yeah,
1: uh, and I think there was probably a Maina Airport cocaine running connection. Yeah, yes, those yes. were insane. When times. I yeah. when
2: I came back uh, to this country uh, in 1998. And and uh, no place would hire me um, or uh, take any of my articles. Uh, that's when I worked for the Online Journalism Review, review through uh, Robert Shear, uh, who's uh, been uh, a kind benefactor to my uh, career for a long time. And he's like, ah, you don't, you know, you've never seen the internet, so why don't you write about internet uh, culture and stuff? So my first <laughs> half a dozen articles were about Salon's work on the Arkansas project. I like came back into America blinking awake, uh, and I'm like interviewing like Gene Lyons, right. Joe Connison yeah. yeah, Joe right, right? Karneson, yeah, right. yeah. Uh, yeah. like
1: who uh the hunting know, of the president right? murray what
2: was Waz, uh oh was also my god a, oh, oh, yeah. what a yeah. nut
1: job he is that'd be nice to murray um <laughs> no i don't think so I, <laughs> I i i i didn't work with him but he was in the same. Little, but it, didn't he write a book about the scooter libby stuff that was like eight thousand pages and didn't even realize that it was like dick armitage who released valerie Plame's name he was obsessed with that and there was some trouble yeah enormous like, amounts he, of, he
2: locked in on Yeah, DC's great that way in
1: a sense that it always produces these weird characters that get obsessed with these these issues. And, you know, in the Clinton years, I mean, it is like Ambrose uh, Evans-Pritchard or whatever, who produced like the Clinton Uncovered or the real Clinton or whatever. Bob Tyrrell is another another one of those guys. No,
3: but there was – and I said there really was – I remember I was in eighth grade when Bill Clinton was inaugurated, 1983. And I can remember driving Mm. in the car with my friend and his mother was driving – she was very conservative, and she hated the Clintons. And she was telling us how, as Bill was being sworn in, Hillary's hand was on the Bible too. Really? And, and it was, obviously <laughs> hadn't happened. How did you, I mean, she? Do you want to go and break that one is, story? I have, I have thought about this in years <laughs> since, because at the time I was like, "Really? Yeah. <laughs> is she the president now?" But yeah. You know, I, I realize she got it somewhere, and I'm trying to think. Was it you know? Because back then there's limited options, a newsletter or something. But that was the kind of. There was there was an audience out there. That you could reach with right? that stuff. Probably, yeah. yeah, probably something yeah. like that. Yeah, because I mean, but the, she hated. Oh, she hated the Clintons. You know? There are
1: all those <laughs> junior versions. I mean, now there, there's so many of them that are actually popular and, and, and sustain a, a big audience. Whether it's you know Michael Savage and Sean Hannity and, and people like that, but then there is Rush Limbaugh, Gordon Liddy, and yeah. then who is totally insane, and then a bunch of like minor local versions. Right. Um, In Boston We had like Howie Carr Howie, he's, he's Trump's he's, guy now He's Trump's guy he's on now on Fox all the time now yeah. uh, Jay Severin Jay for Severin came a in while. Later, yeah. It was a little later
3: it Was Bob Grant in uh, Bob Grant in New, New York. York Yeah yep. um, well, guy He was the Trump. one who speculated About the Ron Brown right
1: Yes Yeah And he was also a racist too So <laughs> he was probably Celebrating that at the same time Because he got taken off the air For like racist comments At the time But you know There was always I mean people forget About the small ones That it was like There was the Beatles And then there were like The Knickerbockers Who sounded just like the Beatles are all those bands that were Beatle alike bands. It was the same thing in talk radio, all these weird Rush Limbaugh sounding people in local markets that were spreading all this crazy stuff.
0: Well, we are I mean, we've been pushing for a while, so we should probably get out of here pretty soon. Um, Moynihan, you mentioned uh, the Dave Chappelle uh, special. on yeah. Netflix. I yeah. Mean, that, yeah. I, uh, if only if only this um i watched it and i know uh, jason riley was not entertained uh that the various other people were not entertained i thought it was super fucking funny it's funny. super funny it's i funny. fell out of my chair laughing at different instances i had to stop it and text other people and tell them that it felt like uh, like 1984, like I'm laughing at things that should definitely not be funny and acceptable, but I am laughing. And I just wanted to admit that publicly. Yeah. No one else other than Moynihan apparently um, has to or perhaps will agree – Oh, yeah. Publicly. I watched it with Moynihan super
2: drunk We were, <laughs> we were, we were <laughs> two days ago. Yeah, yeah. So I watched it with my both, wife, We both enjoyed yeah. it. Every, everyone's laughing. It. It's really it's funny you don't to yeah. you, don't you don't have, have to, to say anything. You don't have to say anything. You can I, just I, leave it
0: alone.
1: But I, the thing is, is that I think I can watch comedians I disagree with and think, as long as the jokes are good, I yeah. think they're funny. Yeah, yeah. And it is amazing to see the response and on Rotten Tomatoes is that, like... I think it's now up to
0: 20%. The and critical the, uh, consensus. and the,
1: the audience score is 99, 99. <laughs> 99%. <Yeah. laughs> and it's the biggest difference, like an Adam Sandler movie. It's yeah. like 22 <laughs> And you look at the reviews and they're all political. They're mm-hmm. all saying, I disagree with the point that he's making about this. And I mean, it's like, look, not really you're not, you are not reviewing George Will's book. Yeah. Yeah, it's a comedy bit. And like, oh, he's defending, uh, he's defending the powerful, he's defending, oh, celebrities is the, the line in every fucking review. Celebrities really need to say, no, they're his friends. He made $65 million on four specials. Not yeah. even this one, this is a different, 60, he has rich fr- friends. <laughs> he's friends with <laughs> Louis, and he's going to do a second Pass at Louis because nobody else will mm-hmm. because everybody wants to defend Louis, but nobody can. They can't afford to. Dave Chappelle has fuck you money he can afford to. So I was at the cellar last night and I was with uh, um, some comedians. Um, we, I think most of our viewers, uh, li- listeners would know them. And we're going to organize a special uh, dispatch, which we talk about the mm. state of comedy. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about a few people and they were saying the same thing. And they were like, look, it's uneven in places. But that's not really the point. It's like he is the best of his generation. He's really good. He's prior like in the sense that there's no traditional structure to the joke, there's no setup, punchline payoff, et cetera. These long, sort of loping stories that ultimately get back, and sometimes he has a callback to, to, mm-hmm, to a punchline. Mm-hmm. But that's what Pryor did. I mean, you listen to Pryor's bit about the penitentiary Mm -hmm. when he goes to with Gene Wilder in the filming Bustin' Loose. It is fucking hilarious, but there's no real jokes in it. It's all about the cadence. It's all about how Pryor talks. And Chappelle has a lot of that. But, you know, nobody, and, and one of the guys I was talking to said, you know, left, right, and center, there's a uniform opinion mostly about comics when it comes to Louis. Is that, you know, what Louis did was pretty gross, but it's nothing you get arrested for. You can call the police for any of it. And Chappelle makes that point in the special. Mm-hmm. So I guess there are political points and there are people really are shocked by them. Particularly the trans stuff. Like, why do you have to keep doing it? Why do you have to keep doing it? Mm-hmm. Although he, he addresses that. And he
0: does. In, and in, that's the in, thing. In the bonus content as well, after the credits. Which yeah, If yeah. you've watched the special and yeah. you didn't watch the bonus content, you should go back yeah, and watch over two the bonus not so yeah. You,
1: you can't, get you tired, can't actually get it from the main screen. You have to let the credits run through. Yeah. And then there's an epilogue, which is about 25 it's minutes. So good. But the thing about it is that his he's consistently being attra- attacked by the trans community for these jokes, and he does. And the, and the bonus thing talks about a trans person who came to the show and wanted to be a comic, mm-hmm. and he there's a picture of her at the end, and it's like mm-hmm. a tribute to her and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, the, I, think, I guess people are mad that they're not having the last word, and t- he's not going to let it rest. Yeah, why is it that people can write, you know, incessantly in this just constant stream of articles about this subject, and particularly as it relates to Dave Chappelle, and he does it two specials in a row. Like, we get off of it. We stop it. Stop doing it, man. And it's like, no, well, you keep hitting him and, and he's,
0: and he makes a, he's a great bit. And when he's like, he's like, I just can't stop writing these fucking jokes. They just Just, keep coming to me. There's something about, um, there's something about the special in the, in the end where. Uh, the, the the trans person who he talked to in the comedy club says something about how, you know, he was being criticized because people said he was normalizing R. Kelly. Um, or I guess it was a New York Times article that says he was normalizing R. Kelly. Um, but that the same in the same way, they don't mention the fact that, you know, he in making his trans jokes, he's not accused of normalizing trans yeah. people yeah. in trans culture. I thought there was something really interesting about that. And I watched I, I watched Dave's um, uh, special once, and then I watched it with with my wife, so I'll also just throw her under the bus as well. And she ended up watching the bonus content. In between there, I actually rewatched Eddie Murphy's Delirious, yeah, which yeah. I hadn't seen in a very long yeah. time. And watching it, like I was initially struck by the coarseness of his routine oh, yeah. because the whole opening – he uses this very uh, awful word that begins with an F. That, uh, yeah, yeah. I won't say out loud now. Frenchman, uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when I was watching it, I initially was like, uh, and I, 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 my skin started to crawl a little sure, bit. But yeah. even, even Eddie, when he is like making these jokes that are obviously very coarse and crass, like there's a bit about it where he's breaking down walls. He is whether people recognize it or not, especially with the predominantly black audience, like to make jokes about homosexuality and to address directly something that a lot of people in the audience at that part of point in time were completely uncomfortable with and were not interested in having any sort of conversation about at all for Him to talk about that and then to go on to say things like, I have gay friends, and a mm-hmm. lot of women like have gay friends and they say they, they're the best friends to talk about it in that way. He also, I, makes I, one I of wonder the if there isn't something, something culturally in, that, but I, but I, in I, that bit, but I really do wonder if yeah. there isn't something culturally valuable about having comedians be the people who are helping to broach certain subjects and to expand the terrain of conversations, but, even, I, even yeah. if those in those gross and uncharitable ways. But the truth is, it doesn't even have to. Have that sort of cultural value and currency no. for it to be something that pushes the envelope, is sort of funny, um, and perhaps is somewhat charitable. Yeah, but what do doesn't we, doesn't necessarily have to be what do we do uh, with that away
1: afterwards? At, at the end of the day, I mean, Eddie Murphy was 18, I think, when that first uh comedy record came out, mm-hmm. and he was on Comedians in Cars, uh, with Jerry Seinfeld. There's talk about Netflix paying him $80 dollars million, million to do a special, isn't? Stand up and you know thirty odd years. Mm-hmm. And let's be frank about it: um, the first track on his first record, the title of the track is "Faggots." Mm-hmm. That's what it's called, and it is not a nice. I mean, you go like if you go back and listen to this stuff. I'm surp- I mean, I don't find it strange that I find it so uncomfortable. I, I think it'd be strange if he was doing a comedy mm-hmm. bit and there wasn't anything that was like we, that. That there was like we had solidified as a culture and nothing had changed. Mm-hmm. All of that happened. It was the most popular record at the time. People used to listen to it furtively. I did anyway, and all of my friends had we knew the routines back to front, and then we all became part of a generation that to think of gay rights as not being something that was real and on the agenda would, would be crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the people who say, even today, like that they are opposed to gay marriage, I'm like, really? It just surprised them. I'm like, really? Wow. And I was a, of the generation who knew every, every syllable of that Eddie Murphy record. And the cancellation stuff, you know, we've had uh, Ben Dreyfus on the show from Mother Jones who talked about his father. And, you know, when he was defending his son, his other son, who'd accused Kevin Spacey, came out and defended him. And somebody, while he's defending him on Twitter, said, well, you did this to me in 1983. There's a backstory that's fairly interesting to it. I don't remember if Ben said it publicly, so I won't say anything about it, but it's a fairly interesting backstory. And Dustin Hoffman is approached about something at the 92nd street. Y. can't remember who is hammering him on this. uh, another famous person who was interviewing him. And this was something from the early eighties too. This is the same time that the Eddie Murphy record came out. Right. And so Jerry Seinfeld is out there, you know, talking to him and we're excited when he comes back with that special, right. This special is coming up. What is the conversation we're going to have to have about that? Or I don't think we have to have one at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, because people are allowed to make mistakes and to change. I mean, Steve Kornacki says, I've changed my mind about blah, blah, blah. I, I, I'm the same way. And I think that there's times when people dig up stuff that I've written 10 years ago. I'm like, congratulations, you found something stupid that I wrote. I mean, 90% <laughs> of the shit that I wrote was stupid. And I evolved, you know. I, I, thankfully, I did. Because the people who don't evolve are people who dig their heels in and work at a think tank. Yeah. Because they have to have that set of views mm-hmm. to get their paycheck. The rest of us just don't really give a shit. But I wonder about these people like Murphy... You know, I, look, when you go back to Richard Pryor's stuff, it's not very nice either. Mm-hmm. But y- you know that, you know, Eddie Murphy, of course, got arrested. Having sex with a man in a car, right? Was it a man or a trans person? Or it was a, a transvestite, I believe. Transvestite, at the time, yeah. And they weren't having sex. They weren't having sex. They were they were just they were, having. Yeah, they were playing a game of Uno on the dashboard. Yeah, <laughs> um, with his cock out. But you know, no, sorry, no. Steve's not in the room for that. He's going to get trouble for that. And <laughs> standards <laughs> and practices <is> going to be <laughs> very <laughs> very <laughs> bad, right? But you know, I mean, this is, you know, I think I've mentioned this before. I, I know I've mentioned this before on the show. So if you're if you're a devoted listener, um, thank you, and. Uh, sorry for doing this again But it's Don Rickles' record Hey Dummy Which I think I said last time is was on Spotify And Rickles is brutal Br- Brutal He's an insult comic And at that time All race stuff All race stuff I mean 100% Of his 90% of his Probably stuff Yeah, some of gay race. stuff too <clears throat> though, but, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah of course Of course You know I mean If, if somebody is like Slightly effeminate That's going to be a bit Part of the bit mm-hmm. and, and that record Which I think is at the Sands In, in 68 or 67 or 68 at the end of it, the last like five minutes of a thing is a plea against racism, which is so bizarre Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because you couldn't imagine. And I just remember it starting when he is the audience and he points to somebody in the front row and he says, you know, I'm a Jew, you're colored. And he starts doing this thing about how they're just jokes, people. And jokes is how, what, unite us, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And there's a big rapturous applause and that's that. But I wonder now about comics who have done stuff in the past.
2: Like, I think with Eddie Murphy, it was- I'm uh, uh, older than you people. Uh, I remember it at the time as being controversial. Like, this is super funny. He's, he's a once in a generation talent, although it's just true. This is a great record. It's very funny. And like being kind of a dick uh, here, that that was kind of the, uh, and to your
1: point about controversial, the second one, uh, raw, there is another homophobic bit, um, in which it's about how he's been criticized for it. And, you know, he's like, you know, talking about San Francisco and all the gay people hate him when he goes to San Francisco and And, about the about the controversy.
2: And like the the point of still controversial, then the point of Eddie Murphy's comedy wasn't in the same way that I think Dave Chappelle is like, aha, these are the things that are making all of us kind of uncomfortable or just like not having uh, not saying what we all think i yeah. 'm um, going to jump up and down on those things and i 'm going to you know maybe go this direction on this part of it and then then wrong foot you on that direction on that part of it that 's going to be the point of the special and it 's a it 's part of his talent that it doesn 't just become all reactionary right like because that's that 's the uh, that's the problem with this, this type of, uh, kind of, uh, discourse or comedy or anything else yeah. or just writing that you're just always finding who is the biggest, you know, no fun kind of censor type and, uh, and bitching about, yeah. you know, Marxists on uh, campus.
1: Uh, look, right? a f- final point I'll make on this is that, you know, I, when I see some of the pieces uh, that are written about this, that get, you know, 10 million hate clicks. One of them, um, that I saw in a website that I I was kind of familiar with Um, I'll just leave it at that that uh, were just incredibly stupid um, pieces. And they're just like hot takes and the rest of it. And it is the reason that Dave Chappelle does this stuff because they say, Oh, you know, you're whining about this rich guy, et cetera. And the thing is, is if the culture wasn't so aggressive, about the people that it disagreed with and, and, and fell afoul of these kind of new rules and that they've created and no, nobody's agreed upon. And, you know, that you can't work again, that you should not be able, like what Louis, Louis can, Louis lost. I saw his film, which I really liked. Um, I saw a press screening of it, of, uh, called I Love You Daddy, mm-hmm. and which is, Funnily enough, kind of an this homage, was the film that homage got to, to Woody shelved. Allen.
0: This was the film that got shelved. Yes, when it got he shelved, yeah. yeah.
1: And the Woody Allen thing, too, speaking of which, Scarlett Johansson defended him today. And that was a big thing. It's like, I mean, I, I defend him, too, because, you know, he was cleared by two separate investigations. It's, you know, I mean, I it's, just
2: don't defend his movies. Uh, uh,
1: well, that's fine, because, you know, but the thing is, is that he his new film... Like Rainy Day in New York, whatever it's called, does not have distribution in the U.S. He had a deal with Amazon. Amazon canceled his deal because of something that came up that happened in the early 90s and that he was cleared of. So he's, he's actually cleared by investigators. And, you know, one of his sons defends him vigorously on this, Moses. Most of his movies also are not available anywhere. Anymore. Yeah, they've taken I you mean, can really? still, you can still yeah. get Annie Hall. You can still get Manhattan. You can still get Hannah yeah. and her sisters. But there's a lot of movies, including movies that have won Oscars, that you can't get
2: on any streaming service or even buy on DVD anymore. And Manhattan's, you know, let's be it, honest, is a bit problematic. Well, on. well, I mean, Very, and, also, <laughs> and also
1: Louis stuff was taken off HBO Go. You can, like, he had, there was a Louis show, show called Lucky Louis that he did for HBO. They memory hold it, and it's like, the Commissar vanishes. Same it's as like the a Soviet, FX show. It's gone. It's a Soviet pain. The Soviet painting. FX show's gone too. It's like, Really? The, the yeah, guy, as, as, Dave, as Dave Chappelle service. said, the guy jerked off on his stomach. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, he didn't assault anyone. He didn't, <laughs> he's a, just a creepy. He's a creepy know. dude. And I don't know, know who stuff.
0: said it. Uh, it must have been Tracy when we were watching um, the, the Chappelle sketch. And she said, wait, Louis died? Because the oh, Chappelle, yeah. <laughs> the Chappelle joke, he had that horrible, yeah, he, he died, d- he in, that died horrible in a horrible masturbation accident. accident. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh my yeah. God. He's like, no, no, no. He's being figurative, my love.
1: Yeah, so, but the point being is that this is why David... Dave Chappelle is doing a bit like this. It's not because somebody criticized him in an op-ed piece in the U- in USA Today. And then there was another one that criticized him on Twitter. It is just the, the repercussions of it to somebody like Louis, who's a good friend of his, is they took every, as he says in the previous special, they took everything from him. Mm. And you can think he's guilty. You can think everything he did was wrong. In that, you know, and and by the way, people tend to forget about this is that he stopped doing this like in the mid 2000s or early 2000s or something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people criticized him at word got around the comedy community, stopped doing it. And hasn't hadn't been accused of it in a very, very long time. He wasn't even a famous person at the time. He was like a writer, I think, on Chris Rock's show or something. But they took everything away from him. They took, you know, he's thankfully owns all of his own stuff. You know, he was producing his movie by himself, but can't get a distributor for it. It just seems wildly disproportionate to me. And it does to Dave Chappelle. And he makes, that's what the special's about in a lot of ways. Hmm. Um, you know, jokes, sticks and stones, right? And why jokes exist. And, you know what they do to people or what the, the the mob can do to people who fall afoul of, of uh, the joke police. So yeah. watch it though. It's very funny. Have you seen it, Steve?
3: I haven't, but He's, I, yeah, I saw the stats that you were talking about with the public here and the critics here. It's crazy. I mean, crazy.
1: I mean if, if there's anything, I mean, that is like red meat to like conservatives, right? And they've it's been like all, the all bubble,
2: over, you know, it's like, there's a I, decent piece by uh, Art Tavana, who's an interesting follow on uh, Twitter, LA writer, about this we went a bit too long. Art. Sorry about that. But uh, uh, saying like conservatives are like too much jumping on. Absolutely trying true. To, mm. Trying Absolutely to make true. him yes. yeah, their yeah. pinata true. now. And oh, he's with us on abortion, really? And this kind of <laughs> he's, 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 not, not. he's not. He's not really. And, and by the way,
1: <laughs> on like 90 percent of the issues that he, you know, talks about, he's He's like not, he's the opposite of conservative, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, on race issues, I mean, the two impressions he does, Mm -hmm. the second one, which (laughs) conservatives would like, the first one, which I presume they don't, which is an attack on the founders, (laughs) you know, but people have an incredible way of filtering out the stuff they don't want to hear. Yeah. But it's a funny, funny, funny thing. And if you judge comedy on the politics of the people telling the jokes, you're a fucking idiot.
0: Um, Sorry. we we really ought to get out of here. Yeah, I'm just sure. gonna take moderator's prerogative for half a moment to flag what was the most frustrating thing I've read in like the last seven <laughs> days, which was um the it's not what you suspect. Um, this Bloomberg piece, uh, the title of which was "U.S. Unleashes Military to Fight Fake News and Disinformation." Um, And the piece opens with, Fake news and social media posts are such a threat to U.S. security that the Defense Department is launching a project to repel, quote, large-scale automated disinformation attacks, unquote, as Republican Congress blocks efforts to protect the integrity of the elections. Um, There's a great deal wrong with that. And I I think that paragraph is written in a very straight news sort of way, especially that last line sticks out to me, as top Republicans in Congress block efforts to protect the integrity of elections. Um, There's a presumption there about both the, uh, the the necessity of the particular efforts that are being made in in favor of protecting, quote, pre- quote unquote, protecting elections. Um, but I'll step away from that for a moment only to say that people should be very alarmed at a policy that has the United States government getting involved in releasing the, the content <laughs> of the interwebs for yeah. our own good. Yeah. Especially if you're the sort of person that finds Donald Trump to be very dangerous or imagines him to be very dangerous and thinks that we're on the precipice of tyranny and fascism. This is really bad. It's a bad idea. Whatever your concerns about democracy, etc., cetera, et cetera, and the vulnerability of our elections, this is probably not the answer a massive yeah. dod program to, <laughs> it's not to yeah. censor yeah. the interwebs. It's not far from Andrew Yang's proposal. A- it's not. Which again, you should be very concerned about this. Um, and that that makes me anything paranoid that starts as fuck. a massive DOD proposal <laughs> never ends well. Right? Um, so I just wanted to flag that because that, yeah, I that mean, should make you concerned. Because the people who, who are like, oh, yeah, I know it's the
1: Russians. is going to defeat the Russians. You remember that the president uh, that you hate uh. and that I hate too um, regularly talks about the press as the enemy of the people and fake news and do not empower the government to be you know, sniping at news organizations Uh, whether or not they're true or they're 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 false can i say one final thing on 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 fakeness there's a fake story out there that's driving me crazy crazy it's driving me fucking mad it is this vaping thing uh michigan by the way banned uh flavored vapes yeah i mean all vapes have flavors by the way even if it's tobacco it's a flavor i don't know what they're going to do but um there is a rash of people dying or not dying being uh grievously injured Um, in in vaping things across the country, right? There's like 122 cases or something. Every single news story says vaping this. Seriously, look look at Google News. It says vaping is causing X, Y, and Z. If you read further, they're all bootleg THC, marijuana products that are coming from weird places. They're like homebrew stuff. And so to me, it is like saying, you know, You know, drinking liquids is causing people to die when it turns out the 122 people are drinking fucking Clorox. This is it is it is unbelievable that this is, you know, the headline on everything. They know exactly what they're doing, because vaping is not hurting people. Vaping THC products bought at the fucking bodega out of a cardboard box under where the cat sits is hurting people. <laughs> These are not the same things. Okay. And it's allowing now the, the FDA is like, we're going to move on this. I have a jewel in my hand because this miraculous device helped me. Thank God, quit smoking. And I haven't had a cigarette in a very long time because of it.
0: Which brings and, us to uh, this week's sponsor, jewel.
1: Uh, this week's sponsor is actually Philip Morris. Oh, good. Um, I'm going to start back on the cigarettes Right. <laughs> because the T zone, do you remember those ads? The T zone. <laughs> No, nobody. No, anybody out there in Listenerland? The Camel. It's. I think it's one of the things that precipitated the rule that you know you can't make health claims uh, in advertising was because they used to have these ads and there was mm. the one the T Zone I think it was either Camel or Lucky Strike and it was like they there was like a T, they overlaid it on the throat and it was like taste and and yeah. I can't did you find it? Yeah, it's the it is the T Zone. It's uh it was Camel. It was Camel. Geez, like see, there's the thing over. Yeah. Oh my gosh. God! I'm not wrong about anything, am I? Ever? <laughs> <laughs> That's why you Your donate. T Zone
0: will tell you. Yeah.
1: yeah, and they also had ones like nine out of ten doctors prefer. Like whatever brand of cigarettes. Yeah, that's that's
0: at the bottom of the ad. More doctors Cooled. smoke camels Yeah, than I mean, other <laughs> Which is great. <laughs> which is great. <laughs> true. You know, it's still going to give him cancer, but if he's a doctor and he smokes it, he's not, he's not saying it's good for you. Yeah. He's like, ah, I got a lot of bad habits. I'm a doctor. <laughs> and that T-zone is overlaid right where you might get cancer. Yeah,
1: exactly. Mouth moms. cancer, throat yeah. cancer. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the uh, vaping but, uh, stories, those are kind of bullshit.
2: So uh, anyway. Goodness gracious. I want our ads to be all about the T-zone. The T-zone? Yeah. 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 I just want I the bet money. You do. I, I want. I want to spin off
1: this podcast to another one called the T Zone. Yeah, I don't know what it's about. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> what's it gonna be about? It sounds
0: erotic, though.
1: Yeah, that's like great. It. Yeah, don't get Cronaiki. <laughs> <laughs> so you
0: get fired from that swiping that big screen, Steve. Yeah, you got anything you want to leave the the good people with? Anything?
3: Uh, yeah, with I was hoping we'd talk more macro by moonlight, but otherwise yeah. <laughs> we, can. <laughs>
0: we can. Can we, we do we can. a special
1: edition of the show where it's just Steve Cronaiki reading the first chapter <laughs> so, of macro
0: some Bill Weld
1: literary criticism?
3: Actually, yeah. <laughs> actually Steve,
0: Stillwater. we we do need to let you go, but I do have like one. Uh, burning question um elizabeth warren donald trump the trump administration is genuinely afraid of elizabeth warren i think what what is your take on this is 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 the american appetite for populism is this a real and tangible thing as you see, do you you see what's happening is this a real thing
2: such a french goodbye question i'm sorry yeah
0: i'll give you the, the my quick answer is just
3: i look at it this way um Trump won ultimately in 2016 because of a, a certain type of voter. And it was the voter on election day who said, I don't like Donald Trump. I have a negative opinion of him and I don't think he's qualified. I don't think he's competent and I don't think he's honest. That is a weird way to describe a white lash. <laughs> and, well, and they, they said that and they said the same thing about Hillary Clinton. They said, they said uh-huh. she was competent. So that overlap in the Venn diagram, that was a significant number of voters and they broke two to one for Trump. Mm-hmm. And in the swing states, it was even more. Yeah. Um, if you put an Elizabeth Warren up, is the, my question is, did they start breaking, not necessarily as decisively for her, but less decisively for him mm. just because he's now the incumbent. He's not the detonate button anymore. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately that's what made him different than Hillary Clinton. She was somebody who had been front and center, national political stage for 25 years. She was the face of the establishment and he was the face of, I don't know what you want to say, but it wasn't the political establishment. And if there's anything about the political establishment that bothered you for the last generation, that was the detonate button, Trump. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think now that he's the incumbent, I just wonder if that's different. Because he, you could talk all you want about his base, his base, his base. Yes, his base will get him to about forty percent. Mm-hmm. What got him to forty six percent was people who didn't like him, yeah. but they didn't like his opponent even more. I, you know, there's a theory that they could make, you know, Elizabeth Warren is unlikable. There's a theory they could do that as same thing with uh, with Joe Biden. But I just wonder if it's different having a record for four years.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: All right. Thank you Steve Karnacki right. thank, thank you guys you, sir. I think <laughs> you <laughs> might be One of the smartest guests We've ever had on this show
0: Is that they're, true? They're, they're do you think very it's true? Good, very, very high odds of that We Why get a lot of
1: fucking dummies yeah. Why do
0: talk <laughs> about Ben <band> Drives <laughs> like that yeah. Um, yeah. At least yeah. you, guys, uh, you got me On the one subject I can talk about Trust yeah. me Anything else I'm
1: an idiot so. <laughs> <laughs> Well we got smart Steve yeah. Steve thank you Thank you guys so Bye Bye we, we, we know of new methods
0: Of attack The Trojan Hall